For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. We are live on a Tuesday edition of the Sports Bash, live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. I'm your host, Mike Gill. Josh Henning is producing today's show. And you out there, what's going on, everybody? No fills last night, no hoops last night. Had a sweep in the hockey. Good game last night, entertaining. I was listening to a little bit on the radio last night. Um... Oilers got swept. You know, it's funny. A week after I had said, Connor McDavid's worth your time. He's the best show on ice. He gets swept. What gives? What gives is, is that hockey is still a team sport. You know, Mike Trout, Connor McDavid, fill in the blank player. You could have the best player on the They've planet. They've got two of the best players on the planet. They do. But the rest of the team was not up to snuff. Look. You're telling me the whole team has to be good? Not just like two players? Yeah. <laughs> teams win championships with mike come on i feel like uh sometimes it's like hey we have these two guys why do we stink well you actually have to have a good team do you believe it uh By so the way, last night really quick was a weird game too because colorado had a a strong lead and they said in the second intermission the guys on the tv they were like hey Maybe this is the time you put in Kempler, who's serving as the backup tonight. He was healthy enough to be the backup. Let him lock down the game, come in as a closer. Well, guess what? The analysts on the television were right. They scored all those goals in the third period on the backup and got it to overtime. But in the end, <laughs> the abs were just too good. All right, well, you got Phillies back in action tonight, taking on the brouhaha's. You've got uh, NBA Finals aren't back until tomorrow, so another night off from the hoops. You do that at you do have that Eastern Conference matchup, which uh, has been highly entertaining. That's Rangers and the Lightning. Um, now, at the beginning of the series. I would probably say I was leaning towards Tampa Bay. Most people were. But after watching a couple of games, I might be shifting to the Rangers. I think it's safe to say this series is going to go six, seven games because... I hate to say it, though, too. I know. They're the New York Rangers, but you know what? The New York Rangers have something right now. They built a team that amplifies each other's talents and skills. You know, they're very, they got a lot of speed is what you're noticing between these two teams now is when you watch them play, they're the faster team in this series from what I've seen so far. Yeah, I mean, the the Palat score the other day when he got the game winner with 44 seconds left, I mean, he's arguably one of Tampa's fastest guys. And speak of speed, you saw how one of Tampa's fastest guys was able to get in position to score. Yeah. And that's the only reason why they got a goal on Shazurkin, uh to get the win. So, listen, it's a fascinating series. It's an interesting dichotomy of two very different teams for all intents and purposes. Well, we'll real quick, we'll stay on the hockey thing. Um, 
because Bruce Cassidy got fired last night. Yeah, that was a shockwave. He, now, the interesting part about that from my perspective was, listen, Cassidy is the Jack Adams Award winner in 2019. Yes. Elaine Vigneault was the runner-up, and third was John Tortorella. All three of those guys are now without a job. If I remember, Trotz won the award the year before that. So, man, what is the messaging in the NHL that you can be named the best coach in the entire league and yet you are out of a job a year later for Elaine Vigneault, two years later? The 2020 season was kind of weird because of the COVID situation. Yeah, I mean, you can't hold too much against that that postseason that was in a bubble and all that weird stuff that happened. I, I can't hate on anybody too much for anything there. Yeah. So uh, the, the, I, I'm wondering, like, you know, does the Flyers coaching search now add another name? Does Bruce Cassidy all of a sudden, you know, enter that mix? Or, you know, do they already have to. their sights set on something else? Do they, does he want to take the year off? Who well, knows? The, the experts, the people like on NHL Network, which I know you never watch, but I watch it for you. I didn't you. even know the NHL had their own network, <laughs> all right? Well, I'm here to help out. So they were saying on the NHL Network that basically everyone is working Everyone is working on the theory that people are wearing on, waiting on Barry Trotz to decide where he wants to go. He's the domino that has to fall because everybody wants Trotz, and there's speculation that did Boston get rid of Cassidy because maybe they think they can get Trotz? Because the assumption was last week that Trotz was leaning toward Vegas. Now, Kevin Durso has said multiple times, and I've heard this as well from um, uh, Sarah Velli on Twitter, that Trotz's ideal destination is Winnipeg. But Winnipeg's job isn't open right now. So the idea was Think that- about that comment. I'd really like to go to Winnipeg. Yeah, supposedly Trotz doesn't want to be behind the bench much longer, wants to move into a front office role. Hmm. But the idea is he doesn't want to go to somewhere that has a rebuild or has, like, you know, a, he wants to go to a win-now team, like Vegas. So the theory was is that, well, Winnipeg's not well, can't open. Can't you have a conversation with the guy and have him basically tell you, I'm not really interested in your job? How hard is that? I don't know why that's hard, but... Apparently, it was it's Trotz's every job is Trotz's if he wants it, and then once he picked the job, which originally was Vegas, was the theory that he was going to go to Vegas. That was the betting odds out there. But now with Boston opening up, that wipes out everything because the theory is that you know does Boston think they can get Trotz to come up there? Because what Boston basically said after the season was is we underachieved. Guys like Cam Neely and all those guys in the front office said that Boston underachieved. And did they though? Well, I don't know. They were injured. It's how do I hold against a team when one of their best players was injured? That's why I asked. Did they underachieve? Did you just fire a good coach because your team had? You know, look, I, fans go into the season acting like you're going to win the championship every single year. Right? Like, it, it's not rational to think you're going to win the championship every single year. If organizations are now going to go into. Um, thoughts of we have to win the championship that's irrational you fired a good coach because you irrationally thought you could win the championship look that's an older roster boston it's a much older roster and there's speculation is patrice bergeron even going to want to play again Mm -hmm. coming forward so there's a lot of issues with boston with their roster right now but there's also the other side of it which is 
people wonder, you know, is this Boston, you know, breaking up with the, you know, the girlfriend that you know that treats you right because you jumped in someone else's DMs? Well, guess what? Uh, this whole NHL coaching thing, the Flyers are just kind of, you know, I, I picture Chuck Fletcher right now sitting on a, uh, like, one of those pool floats, sipping on, like, a Mai Tai, just waiting to see what happens here. Because I don't find the Flyers to have a very attractive situation. I mean, this isn't like, wow, this team is just, you know, filled with young players. It's not a very attractive situation, but you can make the argument that are the Flyers a more interesting situation long term compared to a team like Boston that's got a lot of older guys, a lot of expiring contracts. They've had a lot of turnover at the most important position, the goaltender, in recent years. So, you know, remember, Tuka Rask was like one of the best goalies in the NHL. And then remember, he, he retired, then he unretired, then he retired again. So they're, they're in a little bit of roster upheaval, whereas the Flyers, for better or for worse, you at least know what you're walking into with the Flyers roster. couple text messages coming in, 609 403 0973. Text us there or use the free mobile app and message us through the app on your phone, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Download it. If you don't have it, you can message us through the app. Uh, the message says Flyers top three should be Cassidy, Montgomery, and Tortorella. Assuming Trotz doesn't want to come here, Montgomery is great with the power play and the, the basically special teams. Montgomery's the guy that PT mentioned previously, and I know that Kevin Durso is written about on 973ESPN.com that, you know, Montgomery is interesting because of his relative age as well. He's not as old as some of these other coaches are. Uh, It's interesting to hear Montgomery's name. To me, based on everything that I've read and heard, I think that probably the guy that the Flyers really want, if they can't get trots, like you said, is probably Tortorella, but... I don't know, you know, Chuck Fletcher, is he a guy that just wants to get the best he can get, or is he looking for a specific type of coach? You know, the whole thing is fascinating to me for this reason. I, I, I If I'm coaching and there's other openings, I feel like the Flyers are a disaster right now. They don't intrigue me at all. The, the ownership... Used to be, hey, at least I know Mr. Snyder will spend money. They're always going to make the big trade, whether it goes their way or not. That's out of my control, but at least they're going to try. This team was 25, 46, and 11 and really isn't a, a very attractive landing spot for me. Like, I don't know who else needs a coach right now. How many teams need a coach right now? You got Boston now needs a coach. Philadelphia needs a coach. Vegas see, needs a coach. I want to say four. Let me double check. But... I don't rank you very high on that list. So if the thing with John Tortorella, I think is interesting is obviously Tortorella fits the mold of he's the fiery guy. I think the Flyers uh, fans would probably like that, that he speaks his mind, all that stuff. But then you throw in, we haven't heard the old faithfuls, right? The Rick Tockets of the world, the guys who played, you know, for like that 1987 a Flyers team, like you got to start throwing guys from that team into the mix, right? Somebody's got to, uh, there's Flyer fans out there. It's like the Phillies fan who wants Chase Utley to be the manager, right? 
Why can't Chase Utley be the manager? Now, Tockett has at least been an NHL coach. Correct. Albeit mm, mild success. That and also the fact he was in Phoenix. So it's like, was was he a bad coach or was he with a bad... Because people consider Phoenix the worst run organization in all of hockey. So... Was he was he a bad coach or was he you know like Terry Francona like Terry Francona he's with the Phillies doesn't win goes to Boston wins a World Series goes to Cleveland gets to a World Series so is it the team or well he also coached in Tampa not that long though two years got fired because he wasn't very good <laughs> <laughs> I mean he was there in two thousand eight two thousand nine they were nineteen thirty three and fourteen. That's not good. He was there the following year and got fired 34 games in. They were um, 34, 36, and 12. They missed the playoffs. He has been to the playoffs. I think just once. once. Yeah. Career record, 178 and 200 uh, for Rick Tockett. But, you know, he played for the Flyers, so the Flyer fans would probably be thrilled. So here's your head coach openings. So I'm going by the uh, ESPN TSN tracker here. So now... They have Boston ranked as the number one job opening. The Boston Bruins. Oh, of course. I mean, they're the one team probably on this list that went to the playoffs. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's Uh, a surprise the coach got fired. Yeah, it's a shock. The other openings include the Dallas Stars. Remember, Rick uh, Bonus stepped down. He doesn't want to coach anymore. He's tired of coaching. You have the Flyers sitting out there, as we mentioned. You have Vegas, who has a a playoff-ready roster, many people believe. And then you also have the Detroit Red Wings, who are in a heavy rebuild. They're a hard rebuild right now. Then you have the situation with Winnipeg. Winnipeg has an interim coach in place named Dave Lowry. They haven't officially ruled Lowry out from the head coaching job yet. Which is why Trotz is still hanging on. Which is why Trotz is hanging out there in the wind. Gotcha. Because Boy, that I never think that I was going to be so interested in the NHL coaching search. I got to be honest. But here I you do are. Find it, well, I find it to be interesting. Well, th- this is the reason. Hockey is a weird sport where. That's a nice way of putting it. It's very. Um, there's a lot of retreads in hockey, right? Barry Trotz could coach. I mean, he's probably. Could bounce to every single team in the league. Tortorella has been to how many teams? Four. Uh, I mean, these Tampa, guys: Rangers, Columbus, and Vancouver. Four. Four. These guys just bounce around all over, and they get fired so quickly. That's the thing about hockey that's so weird. These guys shelf life's like a half, a year and a half, and then they're out. Can I put a little spin I mean, cycle on this conversation really quick? You, you can make an argument like Elaine you know, Yes, they had a bad stretch, and he was there. He was the runner-up for coach of the year two years ago. So according to this head coaching tracker, they're also listing the Panthers along with Winnipeg because the Panthers have an interim coach in place and they have not officially made him the head coach, Andrew Burnett. So what if the Panthers say, hey, Burnett, get out of here. We want Cassidy. You know what I mean? Does, you know? Well, that's what makes this all the more interesting is that there are multiple high-profile coaches that are on the on the uh, you know in our industry they would call you on the beach, right? If you're out of a job in radio, 
there's a website like on the beach where you could go and like check out jobs and stuff. You're on the beach. You're you're sitting out right now. There's all of these hockey coaches who are well respected, former coaches of the year, uh, Stanley Cup championship coaches. Yes, and they're all just kind of hanging out there right now. That's the interesting. That's the interesting part to me is that. Like in football, when the coaching carousel happens in today's world, you're looking at guys who, you know, are generally these young, new names, no one's ever heard of. They were courting. The NBA now, you're starting to see that a little bit more and more and more, where the guys getting hired are generally guys, you know, I think I saw the assistant coach from the Phoenix Suns. Like the new trend in basketball seems to be like, if you're just some like, you know, random dude that has a beard and looks like a hipster, you're getting hired to be a basketball coach. Who's the guy in Memphis? <laughs> Taylor Jenkins. Taylor Jenkins. Have you seen this guy in Phoenix? Oh yeah. Have you seen the guy in Phoenix? <laughs> what job is he up for right now? Uh, the, 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 Utah, the Utah Jazz. Jazz. Yes. I don't even know the guy's name. He's an assistant coach for Phoenix. Though. He's just some I started laughing because Darvin Ham also has a neck beard thing going. Uh, he doesn't count. I mean, he's an actual NBA player, but these guys. But he's are, got a neck beard. The too. beard part's not the point. <laughs> it's these guys who just look so unassuming to be a basketball coach. Right. You know, um, in hockey though, you have Udoka's got a beard too. The same. You have the same guys, and they're very well accomplished. Hockey just cannot find that next new wave of coaches. They just keep going back to the same guys. And you know what? The one guy we didn't mention, Elaine Vigneault is still out there. He won't be the Flyers coach, but he might land somewhere, too, with all these openings. You think so? I mean, there's certainly a possibility. How many teams has he coached? Vancouver, the same ones to Twitter. He follows Tortorella around, (laughs) right? Vancouver, New York, York. Philadelphia. (laughs) Tortorella's uh, next. What? Where else has Vino been? Hasn't he been in four spots? He was, I was think he in, he's uh, been at least three. Wasn't he in? Uh, he was in another Canadian team, wasn't he? He was with another Canadian team. I, Vancouver. Uh, he was in. He was in Vancouver. I know he's in Vancouver. He's somewhere else too. Uh, where's he was? Uh, wasn't he in Montreal? I think he coached the, the Canadians. Vino has coached the Canadians, Vancouver Rangers, Rangers Philadelphia. Yeah, that's four. So he's done four. Torch has done four. Barry Trotz has been in Washington, Boston. Um, the Islanders, New York. And He's been somewhere else too. I feel like all these guys have been in Vancouver. Jeez, Vancouver just seemingly keeps everybody there. No, he's only done. Oh, he was in Nashville. Nashville. Yeah, that's the other one. He wasn't in Boston. He was in Nashville. But Boston's open. He could go to Boston. Yeah. By the way, the, the reason why we won a Stanley is, Cup in Washington, which is almost unheard of. Good. By the way, the reason for those who are wondering why does Trotz want to enter the Winnipeg job? It's because he's from Manitoba. And the idea is is that he would coach Winnipeg for a year or two, move to their front office in like a semi-retirement role, and then just live near home mm-hmm. kind of idea. But let me tell you something. My rundown today certainly didn't have NHL hockey talk, uh, coaching talk on the, on, the, uh, on the list. Hey, you know what? Coaching changes are interesting, though. No matter what the sport. Well, no, no. I, I as I was kind of in, talking about it, I was like intrigued by the fact that Cassidy got fired. CC very intrigued, and then yeah, and then that Trotz. You know, he's just kind of 
Trotz is the guy. I shouldn't have said Chuck Fletcher. Trotz is the guy sitting in the uh, pool chair right now, sipping on the Mai Tai. He just knows everybody's waiting for what he's going to do. By the way, for what it's worth, uh, Barry Trotz is in the University of Manitoba Hall of Fame. How about that? Not worth anything. <laughs> That's not worth anything. Uh, six oh nine Winnipeg Trotz four oh three oh nine seven three. I don't see him winning the coach here. I mean, for the reasons you just kind of mentioned, the guys. I mean, he's not that old. He's fifty nine years old. Does he want to come to a team that's a complete disaster right now? I mean, I would say the Detroit Red Wings are more of a disaster than the Flyers are. They have a head coach. Over yeah, well, I wouldn't say that he wants to go there either. I mean, I wasn't like, wow, he's going to choose Detroit over Philadelphia. I don't think they're on the list either. Now, you could ask the question, what kind of shape is Winnipeg in? Yeah, Winnipeg's got some – you think the Flyers have cap issues? You could argue Winnipeg might have worse cap situation than the Flyers do. Right, so if he's going to pick a bad team, he'd rather be someplace he feels more comfortable. Even though the Flyers only have $9 million of projected cap space, they can get more out of their cap. Whereas Winnipeg, they have a hard 16. Like, there's no more, no less going on there. So you could argue, okay, Winnipeg's got more current financial flexibility, whereas Vegas, they got $3 million in cap space. So, I mean, I guess it just depends on what situation you want to do. There's, oh, there's Darvin Ham on your TV with the yeah, the beard thing wasn't really with Mike. No, I just realized that all these guys you're mentioning have beards. It's if these guys who look like they would never have been a NBA coach, they look more like they should be. You Their know, accountant? Maybe, I don't know. Tyler Jenkins. Uh, I don't even know the guy in Phoenix. He, he's uh, some assistant coach. Apparently stepped in this year uh, for four games and was 2-2 two and two, uh, while Monty Williams was out with uh, COVID. Good for him. Uh, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Coming up, Frank Close has the Phillies mailbag as the Phillies get ready to take on Milwaukee. Adam Kaplan has football at four today. Uh, Brandon Scoopy Robinson caught up with George Niang. We're going to play the audio from Niang coming up on the other side. And we'll talk to Scoopy tonight at 440. Get his thoughts on Sixers offseason, the NBA Finals, which is off tonight. But when we come back, George Niang, all right, had an interesting comment about adjusting to the James Harden trade. You'll hear what he had to say. Coming up next here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now, back to the Sports For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Grainger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Grainger. For the ones who get it done. SPN. Two twenty-seven is the time. Sports Bash is the place. 97.3 ESPN. The free 97.3 ESPN mobile app. You can download the app in the Apple Store, Google Play. Thanks to First Bank of Sea Isle. Message us through the app on your phone. 
Uh, Phil's back in action tonight. They'll be in Milwaukee. Get a chance to uh, get back out there after a four-game win streak. We are, uh, you know, anxiously awaiting to see what that lineup looks like tonight because Rob Thompson, of course, the new manager, how is he going to is he going to keep guys in consistent spots? Is he going to keep same players kind of playing? Is he going to make a couple moves? You're going to see, you know, Joe Girardi had mentioned that Mickey Moniak was going to get a bulk of the playing time in center field. Well, now you have a new manager in there. Does the new manager say, I'm not on Team Moniak here. I'm not really uh, interested in playing Mickey Moniak all that much. So we'll see. That's something I want to keep an eye on. Then Camargo, haven't heard anything new on him. He left the game the other day. Is he going to be able to go? And if he is, does he play second? Is DD back right in the lineup? Are you going to be doing uh, Bryson Stott at second base? So you have a couple of different things that you can anticipate when the lineup comes out. And as of right now, it's 2.30 in the afternoon. I have not seen the lineup. Remember, I think they're in the central time zone, so they probably won't get that lineup for about an extra hour there. But you think about this. All right, you had this weekend sweep against the Angels. Take a look at some of the numbers that came out of that, right? The Phillies outscored the Angels 26 to 9. 26 to 9 in the three-game set. What did we talk about yesterday? Timely hits and the pitching. They had a span of games over the weekend where they scored seven or more runs. They've scored four or more runs now in 14 of their last 15 games. So the offense is starting to get a little bit more consistent. 14 of their last 15 and 37 of their 54 games this year. They have scored four or more. So if they can get that consistency in scoring the runs, that's a big thing here. You had Bryce Harper, who became the first player in franchise history to uh, with a walk-off Grand Slam and a game-tying Grand Slam in their Phillies career. He did that, of course, in that game against the Cubs last year. A lot of people remember that. And then the game on Sunday. You have this team starting, as we talked to Bob Wankel yesterday, starting to maybe get a little bit more consistency in the bullpen because guys are starting to find some roles with Rob Thompson here. You're starting to see, hey, we're going to use you in the eighth. We're going to use you're going to be our seventh inning guy. So could that really change the outlook of the way things are going for this team? I think those are all very interesting storylines that I'm here to watch now. All right. I want to see if Rob Thompson can get this team a little bit more consistent with the way he runs things. 609-403-0973. And as a Seinfeld fan, are you excited to see Jason Alexander pitch tonight? I have seen a lot of uh, George Costanza (laughs) pictures being posted on social media today. Uh, The pitcher for Milwaukee is um, Jason Alexander. Uh, Who's pitching for the Phillies? Ranger Suarez, right? Ranger Suarez tonight. Uh, Mike, who's the hot young college coach in hockey? Does such a thing exist? Where do hockey coaches come from? Terry and Kate May, P.S., bring back the REM bumpers. I'm always here, by the way, for uh, bumper music requests. 
I have no problem with people uh, requesting bumper music if you want me to play certain songs coming in and out of the breaks. I'm all for that. I'll play you a little REM, Terry. Let's get Terry and Kate. Hey, a little REM here on the rock uh, station. How does everybody talk like that? I don't get it. <laughs> don't ask me. <laughs> I I remember I tried to do that in my very early years of radio. You tried to talk like that? Yeah. And I you just, actually tried to talk like that? I, well, I thought that's how people talked in some of these things. And well, that's I tried how they to do, do it, talk. I ask why. I tried to do it off the air, and I just kept laughing at myself, and I just gave up. I was like, this is stupid. Terry K. Bay, a little twofer REM here on uh, The Rock Leader. We'll get you a little shiny, happy people. Maybe a little Texarkana. Which, if, if Terry wants to hear an REM, which one would it be? That's a good question. A little Texarkana. Maybe a little... Uh, little orange crush like some orange crush shiny happy people uh who's the hot young college coach it was the flyers had him exactly it was hackstall it was dave hackstall was the hot you don't see hockey coaches come from college like yeah most doesn't work a lot it's like you don't ever see a college baseball coach go to the pros why definitely not why is that because a college baseball coach just have no idea what he's doing so I guess he can't the, coach a professional game. Well, well, I guess the working theory is that the game is so different at that level. Is because, it though? Well, because of the aluminum bats, less innings, uh, less, less games. Innings. They played nine innings in college. They played eight innings. Eight innings. I'm gonna have to fact check you on that one. I said I thought they did. Yeah, you thought wrong. They I wasn't played proclaiming nine. it. They played nine innings. Okay, well, I don't think there's still any. Less games. There is no league anywhere that plays an eight inning game. You have six innings in little league, seven innings in high school, and any other post little league league, mm-hmm. men's league, yada yada yada. Nine innings. There's no eight inning game. But they still play the aluminum bats. They do play the aluminum bat. That and, and they doesn't shorter... change the rules of the game. It just changes the exit velocity of the ball coming off the bat. That doesn't preclude you from being able to manage the game because the guy hits the ball harder. I'm not saying it precludes you. I'm just trying to come up with some excuse for why maybe people look it's at it. It's bizarre. I don't know that I've ever seen it happen. I don't I, think I've ever seen a guy. like in I hockey, can't name a college coach who's ever coached in the place. No, in basketball you see it. All the time. Eh, not all the time, but. Well, between basketball and football, you see it way more than hockey. Yeah, and no, I'm saying in basketball and football, it's definitely the most. People act like it happens a lot. It doesn't happen all that much either. Like, randomly, you'll see the college coach, and it's normally a guy who's a little bit more under the radar than the big name guy. Like Mike Montgomery? Like, yeah, like, um, well, he was a while ago, but. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury, for instance, he wasn't like a high-profile college coach. He was a losing college coach. And it was like they hired that guy to be an NFL coach. Like, you don't see the college coach in the NFL as much anymore. Like Chip Kelly, and then he fizzled out. Cliff Kingsbury, I can't remember the last time. When was the last time other than Kingsbury a college coach got hired? In the NFL? Uh, Kingsbury might be the last one. Chip Kelly was with the Eagles. That was, what, 2013? Mm-hmm. I mentioned that one. Thank you. Um, Jim uh, Jim Harbaugh with the 49ers was, what, 2009? He was at Stanford. And then Pete Carroll with, I believe, 2010 went to Seahawks. Mike Riley in there somewhere. Oregon State, he got hired by somebody, right? 
I think he was a head coach, though. I think he was just an offense coordinator, wasn't he? No, I think Riley was the head coach. What was that, then? I had to, to see where he was a head coach at. You can fact check me on that one. I think he was the head coach of the Chargers. He might end up being a coordinator, but he was at Oregon State. Well, I think when he left Oregon State, I think he went to the pros. But it doesn't happen as much as people think it does. And in the NBA, I think it happens even less. Riley was with the Chargers for two years in 1999 and 2000. See? Then he was... You got Urban Meyer, too, by the way. Urban Meyer for nine, what, nine games? Yeah. Uh, in basketball, Brad Stevens is the last... Uh, Brad Stevens went from Butler to Boston. Right. You had um, the guy in Chicago now was at Billy Florida. Donovan. Billy Donovan went from well, went Florida to OKC. Oklahoma City. Yeah. But it doesn't happen in col- in basketball all that much anymore either. I feel like it gets talked about more than it actually happens. Is that fair? Well, and like the high profile college coaches, they're, you know, like, you know, Jim Beheim, Mike Krzyzewski, um, you know, Roy Williams, like that level of coach was never leaving. So if you're taking a guy, it's a guy that's lesser known. I mean, the last super high profile basketball college guy was what, Bettino? Again, I mean, Brad Stevens was in the final game. But he wasn't like pro high profile like Patino is what I mean. Like, True. Because when Patino got to Boston, he won a championship with Kentucky. You're going he? back to the 90s with that. Yeah. So it doesn't happen in... So to go back to that guy's question, in hockey, it's, I think there's a guy... I think there's another guy who's coached college besides Hackstall that's coaching right now. I'm not 100% sure, but you can fact check me on that one. I'm not sure that I'm right, but I was right on Mike Riley. See, my brain works in mysterious ways, Josh. I remember Mike Riley being the head coach of the Chargers, leaving Oregon State, and you're thinking to yourself, who the hell's Mike Riley from Oregon State getting an NFL job? But it doesn't happen all that much where college coaches, and it's weird. Like, you're at the highest level of college sports. Baseball, I don't know that I've ever seen a college baseball coach get hired as a major league manager. So aside from Hackstall, uh, the guy who just got fired in Detroit was a college coach, uh, Jake Blaschel. I remember. I, I was saying. I thought there was another one. Blaschel was with the Red Wings for six years before they let him go. A lot of Urban Meyer texts. Yeah, he got hired. He was fired. That didn't go so well. Now you see why they don't hire guys in the NFL all that much. <laughs> Right? You got uh, Chip Kelly failed. You got... Urban uh, Meyer I mean, Cliff Kingsbury's been okay, I guess. I mean, Kingsbury walked into a situation where he got to ask for it. He wanted, I want this quarterback. You know, I mean, that was a weird situation. Frank's going to talk some Phillies with us. Uh, He's got his mailbag. You guys asked the questions. He answered them. That's next. Now, back to more... Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. On 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, 245 of the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. What's up, everybody? Uh, by the way, Matt Rule 
was another college coach that went from college to pros. He went from Temple to Baylor to Jacksonville. I mean, Carolina. All right? That rule. Another one. Uh, Frank Close covers the Phillies. From 97.3 ESPN.com, his Phillies mailbag goes up on Tuesdays. He talks to us here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN, answering your Phillies mailbag questions. Uh, the manager, what's happening at second base, and really the future of the franchise. So we'll dive into that now here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. And, of course, uh, Frank Close uh, answers your mailbag questions each Tuesday here on the Sports Bash. Let's bring him in as the Phillies get ready for a three-game set in Milwaukee. What's going on, Frank? Not much, Mike. How are you? We're doing good. A little four-game win streak, a little sweep of the Angels, and uh, some different vibes around this team from, uh, you know, we talked on Friday last week. They fired the manager, uh, and all of a sudden things feel a little different. So let's start with that question that I'm sure you got plenty of for this week's mailbag involving the manager and changing the manager and what that means for the team moving forward. Well, the one thing that you're immediately seeing the difference between Rob Thompson and Joe Girardi is that he's putting these young guys right into the lineup. And, you know, it seemed like the story this season was, okay, we call up Bryson's thought, oh, we didn't hit for a couple games. Oh, I got to bench him. I can't afford to, to let him uh, not hit. And then we saw the same thing with young players, too. But, but Rob Thompson's first lineup had six, seven, eight, nine, Alec Bohm, Nick Maton. <laughs> you know, you just go down the line. All the young guys, they're in there. They are playing. And they seem to be renewed, you know, maybe a sense of confidence that they were not able to have under Joe Girardi. Yeah, you know, people ask, did this wake the team up? I mean, is this just a um, feeling of, hey, I, I, there's a lot of talk about communication. And I, and I find that to be interesting. Is this, you know, hey, the, the other guy never told us where we stood, what we're doing, when we're playing, where we're going to hit. Uh, is this that feeling of, hey, Girardi did not communicate a lot with these guys. Yeah, I'm surprised to hear that. You know, someone like Girardi, so well respected for so long, won a World Series. You know, maybe that was something that he just kind of took for granted that uh, <laughs> the team was the Yankees team he used to have. Now, a lot of these guys maybe needed to hear from him a little bit more, maybe needed that confidence. And, uh, you know, of course, the biggest way you can instill some confidence in these young players is putting them in the lineup. And so far, it paid dividends. You know, it was really neat to see, uh, looking at his first game, you saw right in a row, <laughs> you know, Moniak, Maton, Stott, all the seven, eight, nine, they all contribute hits to that big inning the Phillies had. I think that's the kind of thing that's going to be contagious. And I don't know how much Rob Thompson will have to talk to these guys if he's putting them in the lineup like that. But so far, there's some results, and that can only get better from there. Uh, William wants to know about the middle infield. Bryson Stott, uh, D.D., you got Camargo in there who, who got hurt the other day. But, you know, you got uh, Segura out for a while here. So which shortstop gets moved to second? How do you see this all kind of shaking out in the middle? Well, I think you're going to see what you saw the other day. You know, Didi Gregorius, he came up on Sunday. The idea was, well, since Maton's hurt, we'll kind of rush him ahead and only use him as an emergency situation. Well, they needed him in an emergency situation, and he had that big hit, by the way. 
So I think that Didi Gregorius is going to resume his spot at shortstop. And you'll probably see Bryson Stott play every day at second base, uh, whether Camargo is there or not. We're still waiting to hear if there's going to be a move uh, made surrounding Camargo. But uh, I, I think that certainly those two big home runs that Stott had uh, fresh in everybody's mind. The fans want to see him play, and I think the Phillies organization wants to see him play. And I think he will be the second baseman. And, look, I understand Williams' uh, frustration uh, about, you know, moving him around. Now, this is not the same as Scott Kingery. We've had that conversation before. Uh, but Stott has had some experience uh, throughout the minor leagues at second base. This is as unfamiliar as, say, when they put him at third base. So I think he's very comfortable at second base. I think you leave the veteran at, at shortstop and Gregorius. And I think that'll be a pretty nice uh, double play tandem for now, uh, which could last a while since, of course, Gene Segura is out until August. Speaking of uh, Kingery, you know anything about what he's up to? He's batting 185 at AAA uh, since he was activated. I do not think he's going to be a candidate to come up to uh, say Camargo is hurt. Uh, I think they'll probably look at Jairo Munoz, who is a utility infielder type who's played in the majors with St. Louis and Boston. Um, he's hitting over 300 at AAA. I think Munoz would be the guy they go to over Kingery if they need to add somebody to make up from Camargo. But we're waiting to see uh, just how bad Camargo's knee is. Uh, Haven't heard anything since Sunday, so we'll see. Uh, Phillies, of course, yeah, they're in Milwaukee, so no lineup out yet. Uh, We'll see what they end up doing there. Uh, Another question a lot of people want to know now. Is Rob Thompson... Uh, and this switch, what's the future for this team? Uh, is there a chance, you know, th- this team on Friday before the weekend, you know, they fire the manager, they're 12 games out of first place, they're seven games out of the wild card. Uh, so what should we be thinking about the rest of this season now? Well, I think a lot's going to depend on how Philly's fare in this upcoming stretch. And they got three against uh, the Brewers, of course, who are a first-place team, although Philly's kind of hung with them for a little while. Brewers has some good starting pitching. Uh, the Phillies, if they can take you know take care of business against them, they'll be in a good spot because then they play several series against teams with with losing records, right? So uh, between this series and when they face the San Diego Padres on the 23rd, they've got 13 games against teams with the losing record. Now we were th- we went through this last year, right? So about you know the, the, the opponent's record, oh the schedule's easy, so to speak. Well, blah 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 blah. You know we saw where that went. But if they can take care of business here, they can put themselves back into a situation where the team is is a contender again. I mean, those four games in a row really made a difference. If the Phillies did not come back in that third game, just think about this. You know, they they gained in that Angels series three games closer to the 500 mark. If they had lost one of those games, they only got one game closer to that 500 mark. So it's really important the Phillies put some distance here uh, so that they can make themselves back into contenders. And and the schedule does sort of favor them on paper, but uh, we also got to note that the Atlanta Braves uh, have also sort of kicked things into gear lately. You know, they were kind of like the Phillies this season in terms of how they were playing, and they even had a similar record when they just matched up. Uh, so there, there's still some opportunity there uh, for the Phillies to make the playoffs this season. Uh, but they got to take advantage of this, this stretch, and then you know you get to July, and you're 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 a lot closer to uh, a wild card. Well, uh, then maybe the Phillies will make some moves to add. So uh, how they play in June is going to be really important. Yeah, I know. I don't know if you saw um, 
an article written, I think it was yesterday, from Bob Nightingale, kind of insinuating that the Phillies are expected to be a uh, player for a marquee shortstop this offseason. I wonder what that kind of means for their thoughts about Bryson Stott. You know, I always thought, and a lot of people in the Phillies have always thought that Stott's long-term future is at at second base, not shortstop, even though he, he was drafted as a shortstop and has mostly played shortstop in the system. I think that the Phillies mainly gave him most of his opportunities at short because if he could catch it short, well, that's a tough tough position to fill. Uh, but they always gave him time at second base as well, where I think that they thought that he would ultimately land. So, uh, you know, could they be in the market for a big name? Maybe. I mean, between Gregorius and Segura, they're, they're going to have over $30 million of coming off the books just on those two players up the middle. And if one of them is replaced with Stott uh, at a minor league minimum, I mean, excuse me, a major league minimum salary, well, then they, maybe they have some money to spend on a big name for, for shortstop. So I think it's really far out to, to speculate where this is going. Uh, but the Phillies do have that chunk of money coming out in the infield. And if you can replace one of those guys with somebody making towards the minimum embrace and Stott, then you do have the money for a big name up the middle. I'll leave you with this, Frank. Um, Obviously, we're starting to get into that trade season a little bit into June. We're a little bit away, but uh, would there be a guy on this roster that would not surprise you if that's the guy who ended up getting traded? I think they leave this roster alone. I I know we've talked before about how Hoskins might be a tradable commodity down the road. Uh, You know, I think long-term, they have to subtract at least one of these uh, designated hitter types that they have in the field right now. Uh, but I don't see them subtracting anybody that's a big piece on the roster right now just because you know the team dynamic, if, if they're starting to gel together, if they're starting to put together some victories, I don't think you want to mess that up. So I think any trades they might make might be, and even though they've spent a lot of money so far, but if they can sniff the playoffs, I see them using their financial strength and spending even more money to acquire players rather than subtract players off of their roster. All right, Frank Close, the Phillies, the Brewers tonight. Uh, the mailbag every Tuesday right here on the Sports Bash. You can get your questions in at Frank Close on Twitter, and he'll answer those questions for you right here on the Sports Bash Tuesdays on 97.3 ESPN. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, Mike. There's our Phillies insider, Frank Close, of course, joins us each Tuesday with a look at the Phils who take on the Brewers tonight. If more Phillies news happens, we'll have it for you over at 973ESPN.com. We've got on the other side. All right, so there's a social media debate going on that I want to get a part of for this, all right? About a play in Philadelphia sports history. Which is the most iconic play in Philadelphia sports history? Now, I see people debating this. There is no debate. It's the easiest answer ever. I have the easiest answer to the question. What's the most iconic play in the history of Philadelphia sports? I have that answer next. What's your answer? Let me know. Send me a text. 609-403-0973. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. 
Uh, just after 3 on the Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app powered by First Bank of Sea Isle. What's up, everybody? Hope you're enjoying your afternoon. So, social media is a weird place sometimes, but sometimes it gives you nice outlets for conversation, thoughtful stuff. Other times it's a cesspool. I'm here for it all. I like the cesspool nature of it. The lowest common denominators can all hang out and have a good old time together. And we can also have fun debates like this one that asked today, uh, this was from Barstool, Philadelphia, that asked about the most iconic sports play in Philadelphia sports history. Now, I answer it quickly. There is no debate for me on this one and I'll if you've listened to the show over the years you probably know my answer to this question absolutely but I want to see what other people's answers are before I give my answer and see if anybody is on the same wavelength with me so far on social media people have not been on the same wavelength with me and I don't think there's a debate to this there's only one answer to this question well, I think part of the reason why those people don't agree with you, if I'm thinking of the, the same play that I've seen on social media, it's because people have an emotional attachment to things that really, in the grand scheme of things, don't have the value they think it does. It's similar to the whole thing. People are like, we love Buddy Ryan, but Buddy Ryan never won a playoff game. But they hated Andy Reid. So it's like people love the thing that didn't actually give you the most success because they created a a elevated attachment to something that in the grand scheme of things doesn't have the relevance that they give to it. Well, Barstool Philly asks, what's the most iconic play in Philadelphia sports history that is not Philly special or the step over? All right, so yesterday people were saying that the Allen Iverson, because it was 21 years to the day that Iverson stepped over Tyron Lue. Right. Now, I could even add those two in because neither one of them were mine. So you could even say the step over from Iverson or the Philly special play. That's not my answer, and the step over is not my answer. And it never will be your answer because I know what your answer is. Well, there's a lot of layers to this here for me, okay? Now, I'm seeing a lot of the, the comments here. Uh, Simone Gagne, we got a game seven. Um, the shift that uh, Mike Richards had at the beginning of the uh, um, the game against what was that Pittsburgh a couple of years ago. Pittsburgh, I think. You've yeah. got. Um, I mean, there's a lot of good answers that have come here, but they're just good answers. They're not the best answers. So I'm looking for the best <laughs> answer. <laughs> right, I'm looking for the best answer that I can get, not just good answers. Um, this one from Mandy says Utley's pump fake is the only right answer here. Eh, that's not the only right answer. That's a wrong answer. The Utley, when he faked the one and he threw the other, you know, right. that one was pretty good. That was a big moment for a lot of people. Uh, this one says Weapon X on 4th and 26. 4th and 26 would have been an iconic moment had it led to a Super Bowl. Unfortunately, they won that game and then they lost the next week. Correct. It diminishes the level of how iconic that moment is. Agree or disagree? Uh, in some ways. I, I think that, see, your way of thinking is you're drawing in your mind a connection to saying, look, this might have been a great moment, 
but it didn't. It wasn't. But the what did it lead to? Why they won? Correct. A championship. Like, a lot of people. Like, a lot of people. Sorry, have added Matt Stairs rips one into the night. Correct. It's a great moment. But that wasn't the World Series. They didn't win the World Series. They ended up winning the World Series that year. But they didn't win the World Series on that hit or that series. That was only in the National League Championship game. So I could say that's maybe a top five. Yeah, and I think the problem for a lot of the Philly stuff is that there were so many great moments on that run. But let's be realistic. The, the championship itself, there's only one moment. Everything else happened in that World Series got deflated due to the rain delay. Right. I mean, you could say the most iconic moment is Lidge striking out yes. um, Eric Hinsky to win the game and then dropping, dropping to his, his knees. knees and saying that's the moment. But aside from that, no, no offense to the other moments, the at least three home runs, you mentioned Matt Stairs. The problem with the other moments along that run was is that they didn't create the apex. You actually moment. had some moments on the way there where you had the uh, Victorino Grand Slam. You had that at bat from uh, who hit the Grand Slam? Uh, who was? I mean, not the Grand Slam. Who was the pitcher? Bland. Uh, Bland. They hit the home run. Yeah. They had that great at bat. You had the, the the Grand Slam from Victorino, as I said, against CC Sabathia in the playoffs there. Against the Brewers. Yeah. Against the Brewers. Uh, you had a lot of cool moments, but I wouldn't say it's the most iconic moment in the history of sports, of, the, of Philadelphia sports. sports. You've got, let's see what other ones we've got here. Uh, AI crossing Jordan over. Like, that's a great moment. It's a great moment. It's a great memory, I guess you would say. I wouldn't yeah. say it's an iconic moment. Uh, I mean, again, your, I think people, the Iverson era... And the Phillies, you know, 2007, the 2009 run were very meaningful to a lot of people. So they have, in their own emotional connection to those eras, have created a larger level of significance right. to those The things. text board's got some good ones here. So I want to read off some more of these. 609-403-0973. Jump in. Get involved. I'll read and react. Mike, everyone's going to say Philly special. I'm going to go with Tug McGraw strikeout. I was 10, so a perfect age. So the McGraw strikeout of them winning the cha the World Series against the Royals in 1980. Right. Now, I'm a little young for that. But that's similar to the Brad Lidge strikeout dropping to his knees. Correct. He gets the strikeout. I believe it's Willie Wilson that's uh, at the plate. Royals. And the moment of him throwing the glove up in the air, right. Boone catching him. That's a pretty cool moment. I don't know that it tops Your the moment. moment, though. Your moment. And there's a reason, and I'll give that reason when I give my explanation. Right. But right now, it's it's kind of tracing to see what other people think. And I think that the McGraw, if you were to do a top five, I think the Lidge and McGraw moment we could do a five. to be a, in the five. It doesn't right? have to be a Mount Rushmore, but we could do a five. Yeah. I mean, the McGraw one would probably be, I mean... It's Just in him the five. Throwing the glove in the air, him catch being caught by Boone. I mean, it's a that Philly's is a moment. First it's their first World, World Series. Series. I could definitely say that's probably one of the five. Definitely, and I think Lidge is in the five too. Uh, Christian Rio Grande says the most iconic play in Philly sports has to be Big Nick calling 
Philly Philly in the Super Bowl against Tom Brady. Now, the original question from Barstool said you couldn't include that, but I'm okay with including that because it's not mine. So if that's yours, that's fine. The problem with that moment I have is, is it really a top five moment in that, like, that was the first half of the game. There was so much that happened after that moment. That's the problem that I have with that, is that, yes, it was an iconic play because it has a name and all of that good stuff, right? There's so much that goes into that particular play right. that you're like, wow, because of when it happened, you know, it's like they're basically um, right, you know, it's before halftime. And that's the yeah. play where Corey Clement has the catch and he stiff arms the guy and he runs, you know, he has that big run. And now you're down here on, and it's on fourth down too, mind you. Yeah, and there was a big decision to be made because there are a lot of people, and I remember the broadcast, they were saying, well, you know, if you kick it here, or should you go for two? And remember Collingsworth was like, I don't know if you should go for two here or not. It's early in the game. And then Nick goes to Doug, and they're like, all right, we'll do it. You know, and, you know, the the gambler Doug. But you can make an argument that that play set the tone for the game of this aggressiveness mm-hmm. and they never gave up the lead again that Correct. that put them up by 10 it was a big moment and they never then took gave up the lead so i can certainly not argue with you if that's your moment except for it's not mine <laughs> <laughs> uh right, phil phil checks in hey mike i would say the philly special followed by uh i'm not going to say this one because that one's mine after perhaps the stairs homer having trouble with the Sixers, foe, foe, foe by Moses, I sadly can't think of an iconic Flyers moment. That's from Phil. I mean, if I were to go a aside from the Iverson step over, if I was to go with an iconic Sixers moment, got a lot of rock the babies, Doctor J. I was going to say the rock the baby where he goes under the in the NBA Finals. You know, I think that would be the one that I would jump to. Mike and Marmora nailed mine. Uh, Tug McGraw World Series. Wilbert Montgomery in the NFC Championship game. That is a big moment for the franchise because it sent them to their, it helped sent, propel them to win that game against Dallas and they go to their first Super right, Bowl. First of all appearance ever. Now the problem with me on that one would be they didn't win that Super Bowl. I've <laughs> uh, got another guy who's guessed mine. He didn't leave a name. I got another guy who guessed mine. Come on, you gotta leave a name. And he did, well, this guy called in and oh. left a message on the uh, text board. Wow. Um, Mike Bradledge falling to his knees after winning the World Series. The, the problem with that is that, as you kind of hinted at, it's yes, they won the World Series, and it was from '80 to '08, so there was that huge layoff. Right. So it's the first championship in the city. Since 83, you throw that into the mix. But it's the nature of the fact that it was like the rain out and the next day and all that stuff. It was kind of a deflating series when you really get down to it. Like when when they had the rain out and the delay, you you felt like there was some like juice taken out of this, you know, the series. It was like, uh, all right, we're going to have this game canceled. 609-403-0973 or message us on the free mobile app. 
Uh, what's the most iconic play in Philadelphia sports history that's not Philly special or the step over? Although I'm letting you use those two because they're not on my list. You can text us 609-403-0973 or send a message to uh, the free mobile app, which a lot of people are doing. Let me get some of the app messages here. Uh, i got to load that up here for you here. All right, Doug in Marmora says, how about Mo Cheeks dunking against the Lakers, final game of the series? They win that, that championship in 83. Yeah, that was a big moment. And Mo Cheeks is kind of uh, coming down the court. He's dunking. He's celebrating all over the place. Uh, we've got Jay from Dover who says the 1980 World Series, Bob Boone, Pete Rose bobbled catch. That's a good one. You've got uh, Bob Boone over by the dugout. He's going to catch the ball. He bobbles it. And then Pete Rose is right there, and he makes the catch. 1980 World Series. It's definitely a moment. I wouldn't say it's the most iconic moment. Um, Keep them coming. 609-403-0973. Here's an interesting one. And this one is right in my kind of age group wheelhouse here. Keith Primu wins it in the fifth overtime against the Pittsburgh Penguins. Now, I remember where I was. I remember the whole night vividly. I'm in Morgantown, West Virginia. There's a lot of Pittsburgh Penguins fans. That's Pittsburgh Penguins country, right? So Primu wins it in the fifth overtime against the Penguins. I wouldn't say it's the most iconic moment, but it's a fun conversation because I think I watched each overtime at a different establishment. We just kept changing. Every time the overtime would end, we'd go someplace else. So by the time the game finally, you would say you went to five different bars? No. We finally left after like the fourth and went home. It was like one thirty in the morning. Right. And got home, walked into the house. As soon as we got out of the cab, yes, we were taking cabs back then. Well, there weren't Ubers back then. No, of course. That's what I'm saying. Well, the young people might not know what the hell I'm talking about. Well, I think most people know what a cab is. Just, I mean, how, just how young to, do you have to be to not know what a cab just is? trying to be transparent. Well, the, the, a cab hasn't been part of the lexicon for like 10 years now. There's cabs still in New York City. I get that. But I, how many people around here are you saying, hey, let's go get a cab? Not around here. Well, that's our listening audience. Yeah, but I'm, I'm happening sure to be are... talking to people here. I'm sorry that people in New York may not be listening to this program today. I'm just saying people have been to other... I'm, I'm assuming the majority of our listeners have never not have been outside of... I'm not saying they don't know what a cab is. I'm just saying back then... There was no Uber. We had to hail a cab, get in the cab, and have it take us home and get us there by the time the fifth overtime started and then finished. And we right. got out of the cab. We went into the house. And as soon as we turned on the TV, it wasn't like 15 seconds later that Primo scored that goal. That's intense. It was pretty unbelievable the whole night. But I wouldn't say that's the most iconic moment, period. Uh, we got some more people guessing mine. Let's see. Uh, 609-403-0973, the Joe Carter homer. Eh, I mean, if it's reverse, iconic. Right. They, yeah, put it this way. They were a part, if you want to say a Philadelphia sports play, they were on the other end of one of the most iconic moments. In baseball history. Sure. Absolutely. You can almost say, argue sports history if you just want to say, I mean, the 93 World Series, that's not, say, sports history. That's going a little far. But 
in the grand scheme of things, for a walk-off home run in the World Series, it's never happened. I think it's the only time it's ever happened. Um, I think there was one in the 50s, wasn't there? To end an actual World Series. That home run by Joe Carter is historic. Right. So you could say, yes, it was a part of Philadelphia sports. They were in the game. So if you want to get a negative one in the mix, yeah. uh, I'll accept that answer. I mean, that's an interesting spin cycle by that individual. Okay. Uh, Al from Violin says, has to be yours. Yes, Al from Violin, that is mine. <laughs> I love how you're dancing around it. Right Dominic now. from Sweetwater. He also guessed mine. Not Sweet Home Alabama. I'm glad that people are getting mine, though, so at least we're on the same page. I got people on Twitter telling me that, that, that mine's ridiculous. Well, the people on Twitter also say things just to be contrary. Jack in Wildwood, actually, he followed up and said, North Wildwood. Huh. He also got mine, and he says there's no other answer to this. Well, Although Jack he wrote question mark. There's no other answer to this question mark? I would agree with you, Jack from North Wildwood. I don't believe there is any other answer to this question. Uh, George Tromper Township says both miracles at the Meadowlands. Ah, come on, they're regular season games. The problem also with the miracle at the Meadowlands is that those were both seasons that were not really like, you know. Right, like if you told me that that play was a part of a season where they won a championship. Right, or got to a Super Bowl. Like, like the Deshaun Jackson thing was great, but then the rest of the year was kind of meh. Uh, Anthony from Ventnor says the best Philly play, Deshaun Jackson punt return to cap off the miracle of the Meadowlands. Now, that's interesting. The two people came up with the miracle of Meadowlands in in text back-to-back. What are the odds of that happening? Very slim, and it just happened right here. Right here. Uh, what about Villanova's final shot against North Carolina to win the championship? Chris Jenkins, yeah. That was a big moment in Philadelphia sports. Yeah, now you're bringing the college game into the mix, and I think we all know college sports here just don't rank. I hate to say it. Like, I'm a college sports fan. So I'm just being real. Like, college sports don't rank against the pros in this market. Is that fair yeah. or unfair? Oh, it's very fair. I, I think that the Northeast part of the country are much, much more predominantly uh, pro teams. You know, your New York, Philadelphia, Boston, it's predominantly the pro teams. Yeah. Uh, Rondé Barber picks sixth. That demolished the vet NFC championship game. Now, that would be a reverse, reverse. one. I don't think that's historically remembered as this in the NFL lore. Yeah, that's it might be of... lore against the Eagles if you want to be. Hey, I, I'm the, I'm the guy who lives locally and doesn't like the local team. Right, if you're the guy locally who hates the local team, then yeah, that's on your list. Uh, Wilt scoring 100. Uh, I mean, most people never saw it, so it's a, it's an iconic moment. Uh, I mean. It wasn't even in Philadelphia. It wasn't in, like, Hershey. Hershey, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, some of these things didn't occur. Mine didn't occur in Philadelphia. That's true. I'm just trying to think, like... Got another Villanova shot against North Carolina. Well, it was a big moment. There's a lot of people who love Villanova. There's a lot of people who were, you know, on that ride emotionally. Because that was before the... E was that before the Eagles won Super Bowl? What's that? The Jenkins shot? Was that before or after? The Nova. Uh, 2016. So it was before. I'm pretty sure. 2016 is when they won that first one. 
That was the first one they won, right? Yeah. Uh, Connor and Millville, Miracle at the Meadowlands. Uh, Zach and EHT. The one that I is mine, he said, is the only correct answer. I'm very happy that a lot of people are picking mine, and they're also adding that it's the only correct answer. It is 2016. So the reason I brought up was because, Mike, do you think there's a part of that, that Villanova championship where people were like, this meant something to us because we hadn't had a championship in the city in a while. So maybe they sure. attached it a little more emotional. Sure, but then you have that... that, that legion of fans that Villanova's not a Philadelphia team. Yeah, well, those fans are ridiculous. You know, because you got that whole little contingency of people. Yeah, mainline versus not mainline, blah, blah, blah. John man. and Kate May, Vice Sikahema punching the goalpost. <laughs> I mean, it's a memorable moment, but I wouldn't say it's a iconic moment. That's kind of a deep cut, too. That's not exactly a, a trendy one. <laughs> <laughs> um... Mike, you're wrong. Bill Mazeroski hit a walk-off home run in Game 7 of the World Series against the Yankees. That's what I was thinking of, yeah. I, didn't I, could, I couldn't I was, remember what I didn't year. claim that I was 100% right, but I'm saying it's one of I knew there was very one, like, few times that it's happened. I thought that Joe was Carter's like, was well, very Mazeroski, rare. Joe Carter, I think, are the only two homers. And then you have the Edgar Renneria and Tony Walmack base hit walk-off. Matt and Avalon, you've got mine. Matt and Avalon. We got a lot of people getting mine. I'm good about that. Like, um, like here in the Cape May County cities, and that's what I like. Uh, Brian Dawkins hit on Algie Crumpler in the NFC Championship game. For that team and time period of success, that play for me was the most iconic. That's from Matt in Cape May Courthouse. Yeah, I mean, I remember the play. It just that Eagles team never won a Super Bowl. But it was a big moment because it, that – that team had a lot of players that people just they loved. And Dawkins is at the top of the list. I mean, Dawkins is a is a legend in the city. Yeah, you know, and that team had you know Trotter. They had you know Terrell Owens on the other side. They they had you know all kinds of different guys in that team. I mean, for goodness' sake, John Runyon got to run for Congress basically in part because all the Eagle fans voted. for uh, Joe Blanton's home run World Series two thousand eight. Yep, that's uh, that's a, big a one. very memorable one. It was also partly hilarious because no one expected Joe Blanton to hit a home run. No, in that does moment. anybody expect a pitcher to hit a home run in any moment? But not Joe Blanton either. Like he wasn't even the best hitting pitcher on the team. Well, let's not be ranking the pitcher's ability to hit. I don't think any pitcher in that moment you would say, you know what? I think this pitcher might do. I think he might rock one right on out of the park here. I think any pitcher at that moment that hit one out, whether it be Joe Blanton, Jamie Moyer, I think if Jamie Moyer hit one out, you'd be pretty. Uh, <laughs> Pretty impressed. Oh, I'd be impressed, <laughs> but I meant like Joe Blanton was yeah. the guy that everyone's like, Joe Blanton's the guy, guy I have a beer with. Now, Joe this Blanton. one is texted in, and I'm surprised it's the first time it's been texted in. Oh. Zach Ertz's touchdown in the Super Bowl. The Eagles were down 33 32. He scored that touchdown. That's a good one. Very good one. I'm surprised that that's the first time that that one has come in. Well, because a lot of people who attach. Philly, Philly. They love the Philly, Philly. Uh, Holiday, no hitter in the playoffs. That was huge. I was at that game. But they ended up losing to the Cardinals or the Giants that year in the next round. I thought it was the Giants that year and the Cardinals next year. Yeah, that one, I think, they, they the no hitter was against the Reds. Yes. He had two no hitters that year. He had the perfect game against the Marlins. Marlins. 
Yeah. On the road. On the road. Uh, Dr. J, Dunk, 83 against the Lakers. It's Rock the Baby. They kind of know that. Sure. For sure. 609-403-0973. 609-403-0973. Text your... Uh, I'm going to hat tip Barstool Sports Philly. Actually, it's at Barstool Philly. What's the most iconic play in Philadelphia sports history? Now, I have mine. I'll give mine. But you guys are giving plenty here. I don't have to give mine yet. Fred X, 4th and 26. Not a play, but I'm definitely thinking of Miracle at the Meadowlands or Mike Richards, The Shift. That's from Nathan. Yeah, the, the Richards, I, I would say the Richards and the Primo, those two are probably the two of the biggest flyer ones in the last 34 years. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN, the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Back with more of your iconic Philly sports plays. Now, back to... Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. Uh, sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. A Barstool Philly asked the question. I'll give them the hat tip. What's the most iconic play in Philadelphia sports history? Uh... If you're listening on the free mobile app, you can message us through the app. Trevor and Galloway. Oh, this one's interesting. It wouldn't be on my list, but uh, I like this play, uh, Jake and Galloway. Or Trevor, excuse me, and Galloway. He says, how about Jake Elliott's game-winning 61-yard field goal against the Giants? If we don't end up winning that game, we finish 12-4, and and the NFC runs through Minnesota, not Philly, and we would not have that game at the link. I like the explanation because he tied it all together. That's a great point. You know, does Philadelphia reach the Super Bowl if they don't have home field advantage during the postseason run? I think a lot of people would say no. They they don't because having the Falcons come to you and the Vikings come to you was a big part of that conversation. No that question. And that's why Carson Wentz gets a lot of credit. That he got them out to that record, right? Without them having such a head start, and Nick Foles didn't have to win them every game down the stretch. He just had to not mess it up. Uh, that's a good one, Trevor and Galloway. Maybe that'll make your five. Maybe it does. Jay from Dover, two thousand eight World Series, Chase Utley celebration speech. That's not a moment. I mean, stop. Well, it's like Jason Kelsey speech. Like Somebody Jason texted Kelsey that one in. Yeah, I mean, those are not. Okay, we're asking for moments in the game, on the field, man in the arena kind of thing. This says uh, <laughs> most iconic play. Yes, so I would think the speech would be out. Yeah. But I like your creativity, Jay. Josh is kind of poo-pooing you, but, Jay, you're on my team. Uh, yeah, you're, you're just doing that because I poo-pooed it. Jeff in Ocean City says the most iconic, not the most iconic, but a fun one was Hextall becoming the first goalie to score a goal. He says, I was there, but a better flyer moment 
was J.J. Daniel in Game 6 versus Edmonton. Both memorable moments. Those are both memorable moments. I, I J. like J.J. Daniel is a great me- uh, name, by the way. I like the deep cut, though. I like the fact that he dug and said, hey, I was at the Hextall moment when he scored a goal. I think that's a cool thing to have in your back pocket. Yeah. Oh, if you were there, no question. And I, if you were there, I think it would add to why you would say that made your list. I enjoy hearing from people or meeting people who are like, I was at this moment of a, like, I was at a game for this moment. Mm-hmm. I think I add some, you know, extra, you know, volume to it. You ever been at a game where an iconic moment happened? No. Not that I can think of. Yeah, me neither. I mean, I was at Frank Thomas's 400th homer. That's really cool. But I wouldn't say it was an iconic moment. My first Phillies game. Actually, I was at Roy Halladay's no-hitter in the playoffs. Uh, does that count? That does count a lot. That's huge. That's a big moment right there. That's bigger than Frank Thomas's 400th <laughs> home run. Sorry to disappoint you. That's probably accurate. <laughs> uh, another couple texts. Let me get this uh, next batch of texts. Uh, Matt Stairs, Homer in Los Angeles Sky, yeah, into the night. Uh, that's probably in the five, right? It's got to be in the conversation, yeah. How about Greg and EHT, the Broad Street Bullies destroying the Russians? That was a very cool moment, not just for Philadelphia, but for hockey. Because that was the first time that you know people started you know looking at the professionals a little differently. You know, because a lot of times the, the Russians would come over and play the NHL All-Stars, right? Can you imagine if that still happened? Oh, my gosh. Uh, Chuck Bednarik's <laughs> hit on Frank Gifford. That's, that feels like I mean, a That's Philly a memorable football moment. Football moment. And it happens to be a Philadelphia player attached to it. I mean, isn't that picture in, like, the Pro Football Hall yeah, of Fame? Yeah, it's, it's just an iconic photo yeah. of him standing over top of Gifford. Just looking at it. Not Gifford like, out. Oh, he destroyed him. Here's a good one. PT will like this one. How about me today? I got the Temple shirt on. You do. John Cheney going after Calipari. I'll kill you! Right now, here's the thing. It's not a play. <laughs> it's not a play on the field. Right? But that can that can go in the same category as in or you know, famous off-the-field Philly sports moments. That mm-hmm. Jason Kelsey speech. We could do a whole speech. separate day on that. That would be a totally separate day. <laughs> moments that happen not on the yeah. field. You know, like we could we could throw in there the um, we could throw in there like a press conference or two. That would be like you know on that. Yeah, some of your favorite uh, Philly press conference moments. Yeah. Um, of course, Iverson practice would be number one, but I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. We got too many good ones here. Uh, Jack in North Wildwood chimes back in. He says Lidge dropping to his knees is pretty close second, and the field goal call by Merrill Reese to go up eight on the Pats was pretty awesome but not even close to the number one answer that we both picked. Ah. He also picked mine. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Jay from AC says, say it, man, before I get out of the car. We can always download the uh, podcast of the show and just go back and listen to it. How long are you going to uh, hang hang? Well, out? everybody's uh, giving me theirs. Gotcha, gotcha. Right? So you're going you're gonna to wait till the text stop coming? Uh, Matt and Dennis Township. Says, unfortunately, the Patrick Kane game-winning goal that nobody saw go in, ruin the heroics in the Bruin series to get to the Cup Finals. That's uh, Matt from Dennis Drink Slack Tide. I will drink Slack Tide. I actually have a six-pack of Slack Tide in my fridge right now. Nice. Um, okay, there's a couple things here. One, the Patrick Kane game-winning goal is not an iconic goal because of what you said. 
Nobody knew it went in. It was just such an anticlimactic end of that series. Extremely anticlimactic. That's one. Two, he mentioned the Bruins series. That would have been a moment. The Flyers are down 3-0 in the series, and they're down 3-0 in the Game 7. Yes. And came back and won. That was amazing. I think that was the same night. Correct me if I'm wrong, somebody out there. That Halliday threw the perfect game, or was that game one of the Stanley Cup Finals? Uh, where Halliday threw the no-hitter, the perfect game, and the Flyers played the same night, so nobody saw it. I want to say the Flyers either played in the Stanley Cup Finals game one, or was it game that game seven against Boston? So Roy Halliday's perfect game was May 29, 2010. So let me pull up the Flyers now. May 29, 2010. Perfect game in Miami. Flyers playoffs that same night. I could have sworn it was either against Chicago Game 1, Stanley Cup Finals, or that Game 7. Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Finals. There we go. Yeah. Blackhawks won 6-5. John from Glassboro. Brad Lidge winning the World Series. I just wish that series had a little bit more moment. Like, the way they won was just so anticlimactic. Yeah, like I said earlier, it, it, the, the rain delay, and the it just felt like it deflated part of the series. Got another uh, vote for Rondé Barber's uh, pick six. Yeah, I'm, I'm not going to work with that. It's just, that moment is just not... It feels like somebody just doesn't like McNabb, doesn't it? Uh, maybe they just don't like the Eagles. That could be too. You find a little bit of that from time to time around this area, oh, if you sure. haven't noticed. <laughs> Um, another Deshaun Jackson punt return, Miracle of the Meadowland. Guy says, I was at that game. That makes more sense if yeah. you were at the game. If you're at the game, it adds another le- level of you know relevance and meaning to you. Chase Utley, you are the man play. Um, Randall Cunningham, 99-yard punt. A punt's not going to win this. No. <laughs> the Fog it? Bowl, that's not a play as much as a game. Game. Right. And that game would be interesting in the lore of Philadelphia sports games. Mike, I'm enjoying my Chick-fil-A sandwich waiting on your answer. <laughs> <laughs> I've been in a line at Chick-fil-A that you're in that line long enough that you could hear the whole segment, right? That's true. <laughs> uh, Damien here. These are my favorite. Iverson crossing up Jordan. Halliday's perfect game. The shift by Giroux. He wins the draw and lays out Crosby. Any run McCoy had in the snow game. The number one should probably be the Philly special. Any run by McCoy in the snow game is kind of funny. I remember that day. That was the day Holy Spirit played uh, somebody in the state finals up at Rutgers. It was on a Sunday. Oh, the same day? Yeah, it was a Sunday up at Rutgers. And the Eagles played the Lions that day. Um, 609-403-0973. The only person who knew that Chicago won the cup was Patrick Kane. <laughs> You're right about that. Oh, I remember watching that game. I remember definitely how that thing all went down. That stunk. That was just, what a ride that summer was. That was one of the good rides in sports. I mean, we didn't get, we don't get many of them here. You had the Sixers run in 2000. That Flyers 2010 run 
was right up there with the 93 Phillies fun. Yeah, and it was unexpected, too. That's what Very well. They got in on the last day. Yeah, and then they, you said you were down 3-0 Boston. You came back. You win the series. You had the whole goalie fiasco with who's going to be the goaltender from night to night. Michael Layton. Michael Layton. Adino checks in. First down, Freddie Mitchell. No debate on this one. There's plenty of debate. There's plenty of debate. <laughs> I enjoy all the uh, back and forth. 609-403-0973. Another uh, rock the baby. Dr. J. Brad Lidge dropping to his knees. AJ checking in with that one. The Utley fake. That one's come up a couple times today. It has come up a few times. That was a that was a big moment. I'll give it that. All right, I'll give you my answer on the other side, and I'll read off any other texts that come in between now and then. Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. Now, back to the sports. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. ESPN. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. I'll read off these text messages. I'll give you my moment. Uh, this guy said Harper's Grand Slam was hit exactly six feet in front of me. That made the best game I've ever been to. I had four of my five kids there. It's a good moment for you. Cool moment. Cool personal moment. I'm not discounting that. Very cool to have your kids there with you. The fifth one must have felt left out. <laughs> What's going on there? Uh, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Christian Leitner shot at the Spectrum. It's from Brian and EHT. that count? No, it's not a Philly sports moment. That's a PT moment. He was there. in Philadelphia, but not one of the teams. That's a PT moment. He was there. He was there. He's told us many times. Uh, Cody from Cedarville, a negative one. Kawhi's buzzer beater. I mean, that would be a negative one, definitely. Yeah, that would go with the Joe Carter one. Definitely. Uh, Daryl Dawkins pulling down the rim. How about that? It's a moment. Oh, it's definitely a moment. <laughs> Joe Frazier knocking down um, and beating undefeated Muhammad Ali in the fight of the century. That's from Oscar and Lewis, Delaware. And that was in an era before the Eagles ever got good and the Phillies won the World Series. For a lot of for a lot of people in Philadelphia, Joe Frazier, like for my grandfather, my grandfather has told me numerous times when I was younger, like Joe Frazier becoming the heavyweight champion of the world was was a huge moment for a city that felt downtrodden, that mm-hmm. felt like, you know, hey, this guy is one of us. Yeah, definitely, like, at that moment, in that time, I mean, at that time that frame. Era, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mitch Williams pitched to Joe Carter. Yeah, on the <laughs> negative side. On the negative side. <laughs> Got a couple more that I'll... Um, how about the GM of the Sixers using a burner? <laughs> Burner account <laughs> to talk bleep on his own players. Does that count for off off the uh, off the field off the court ones? There was a question that came up the other day. It was like something about a Philadelphia like story that got swept under the rug too fast, like that you wanted to know more about. And I was like, that 
definitely on the list. We How about a, Aaron Rowan smashing his face in the wall? Love that play. That's a Billy Schwine play. That's a Billy Schwine play. Yeah. Uh, all right, this is my play, and there's really no debate here. All right, this was my play, and as soon as I saw the question, this was the play that entered my mind. Second and two. And Philadelphia has it. Derek Barnett comes away with it. Brandon Graham was one of the guys who got in there. And it's New England's only turnover of the game. And it's the first sack of the game. All of it right there. The Brandon Graham strip sack is the greatest play in the history of Philadelphia sports. For a multitude of reasons. One, they've never won a Super Bowl. That play directly leads them to the Super Bowl because you know what happens. There's two minutes and 16 seconds left. They're going to lose that game. No one's got to stop the whole night. You just heard what Al Michaels said on NBC with the call right there. It's the only sack of the game. The pictures of the video tell the story. Graham gets the sack. Barnett picks up the ball. But the camera goes to iconic Tom Brady sitting on his rear end with his arms on his legs just in disbelief of what just happened. Because you know in Brady's mind, the Patriots are going down the field and they are scoring that touchdown. With 2.16 left, they are going to win that game. And the camera goes to Brady sitting there. And then it pans over to Belichick. And Belichick's look of absolute disbelief of, I can't believe we just lost to Nick Foles and the Philadelphia Eagles and gave up 41 points. And the way we lost is in a game when no one made a stop. They got a sack. And my Hall of Fame quarterback lost the football. It's easily the most iconic play in Philadelphia sports history. Now, some people would say the Philly special. And they might be right in their mind. And some people have said Matt Stairs and Brad Lidge and Tug McGraw and Dr. J. All of those things are great moments, but they pale in comparison to winning the Super Bowl. Listen, I'm a baseball guy first and foremost, but winning the World Series doesn't stack up to winning a Super Bowl. I love basketball, but winning the NBA championship in 1983 certainly doesn't stack up to winning a Super Bowl. Heck, the NBA seemingly was going out of business in 1983. There is no moment in sports bigger than winning the Super Bowl. And with the Eagles only having won the biggest moment of their biggest win of all time is the only answer, right? It's the only answer that we can come up with. So that is my answer. It is the Brandon Graham strip sack. It's the greatest play The most iconic play 
in the history of Philadelphia sports? That's my answer. 609-403-0973. I like this text message. You're right, Mike. Bold capital letters. I don't get texts like that very often, so I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so real quick before we get out of here. So I made a top five. So yours is number one, BG sack in the Super Bowl. So you agree. Number two, lid strike out to win the World Series. That's number two to me. Number three, Dr. J cradle dunk in the NBA Finals. Rock the baby. Number four, Tug McGraw wins the World Series on the strikeout. Throws the glove. And number five, Simone Gagne's game-winning goal versus the Bruins in Game 7. They got them to the out of that 3-0 hole. They won Game 7. They got to the next round. Not bad. Good pull. All right, Sports Pass Live. A lot of fun that hour. We'll bring it back with the PT tonight at 5. I know he's listening. He's been jotting things around. He said he's already got four. I wonder how many crossovers he came up with. Does the PT have one outside the box? Might. Find out tonight at 5 o'clock. You guys can keep texting him in. We'll read them off at 5 when the PT joins me for a Tuesday with Thompson. On the other side, Adam Kaplan has football at 4. And that's next here on the Sports Bash. 97.3 ESPN presents the Sports Bash with Mike Gill. It's time for Football at Four with Adam Kaplan. I have real confidence that our football operations uh, can once again create a dominant football team. Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. And Football at Four is powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. Podcast, which drops on Mondays and Thursdays at 6 a.m. Jeff Mosher and this man, Adam Kaplan, is with me right now. I want to ask Adam, uh, last hour, our discussion to carry over. I want to get his opinion on this. Adam Kaplan, welcome back, pal. How are you? I'm, I'm well, my friend. Looking forward to going to Eagles practice for the first time this year until we get to training camp tomorrow. All right. Uh, we're looking forward to that. Now, real quick, we've uh, there was a social media question from Barstool asking the most iconic play. I said there's only one answer. Oh. Philadelphia <laughs> sports. It's the Brandon Graham strip sack, right? It is. It is, man. That, that you know, I, and people say I'm biased. I, I don't think so. That is not only the best Super Bowl. I don't know if there was a better sporting event other than maybe, and I should have been to that game, the uh, the the, um, the Kentucky-Duke game, which was at the Spectrum, you know, the regional final in the NCAA tournament, 93, was it, if I'm not mistaken, somewhere around there? Yes, yeah, it's, it's in the early part of the 90s. Uh, I know right, our own Pete right. Thompson was at that game. That's one of his I claims wasn't, to fame. I wasn't supposed to. Oh, Pete was, yeah. I was supposed to be there. That's a... That's another story for another time. You won't believe why I missed that game. I actually had tickets secured. But, um, yeah, I, I would say, yeah, I, I was well, well, what play? So I, yeah. I guess there's a split between the Philly-Philly and the strip sack. Which play is – and somebody oh, actually – somebody texted in. This was interesting. The Jake Elliott 61-yard field goal, because if they <laughs> don't win that game, then right. they don't get the number one seed and they have to go to Minnesota. Yeah, I. But you have to. I mean, you could say, what was the most important play, Mike, leading up to the playoffs? Well, that that kick, you could say, was it. Uh, it just 
so many things happened in that season, Mike, which... Peterson's interception, Patrick... Yeah, I, I'll tell you a quick story. So myself, uh, Sean Landetta, the former Eagles punter, and Andrew Brandt flew home the night before the Super Bowl. We were all flying back from Minnesota. I, I typically, if I don't work the game, I go home and watch the game. So Sean made the point, and I agree with him. He goes, he, goes, he, he gave credit to the Eagles, to be clear. But he did say that it's amazing how much went right. And I said, and I left. I said, yeah, let's look at Patrick Robinson. Robinson. What, was Peterson? Two, Patrick Robinson was terrible for the first two, uh, first two weeks of training camp. Looked like he, and he wound up having a great season. Who could have predicted that? Uh, and don't forget, J.H.I., uh, they, made the, they, they, they made the trade with the Dolphins. Why? Because they, they were in training camp with him in Philly when Miami came in. I mean, if you looked at every single free agency move that, Howard, uh, that Howie Roseman made, Mike, I mean, you hate to say anything is perfect because no one ever does a perfect job, but it seems, it seems like everything went right that season. Right, and, and another play that's huge in that game, by the way, that kind of gets lost in the sauce because the Eagles are down in that game 33-32, and then they go on a 14-play, 75-yard touchdown, the Ertz play, where he dives into the end zone. The diving nature of him doing that uh, is so memorable, but it ends up kind of being lost in the sauce because of some of these other plays that happened in the game. Mike, and remember, the old rule, see, the see because if you recall, yeah. the old rule was, the super old rules, all you had to do was break the plane, and it's a touchdown. It didn't matter if the ball comes loose. Then they changed the rule. And that's why when I think Collinsworth and Al Michaels talked about it, they weren't sure if that was a touchdown. Right, yep. And I was like, here we go. Is that going to be a touchdown? And it was. It, it's just, in my lifetime, I can remember the Sixers 82-83, the faux five faux, you know, the Moses Malone phrase. And that was a great run. But in terms of Philadelphia sports and greatness, and everything that had to go right, and not, we understand it's an Eagles stand. I, I, I get that growing up here. But everything that happened that year, you just could not make it up. And, then, and the other thing is Nick Foles, out of nowhere, plays not only the two best games of his life, I don't know that anyone's ever played a better Super Bowl game than other than maybe Tom Brady. And, of course, Nick Foles saves it for for that game. Right, and, and we were. it's funny because uh, Adam Kaplan's with us, uh, Football at Four. We looked back at the video of the Brandon Graham strip sack and what makes it even more iconic is that the camera pans to Brady sitting on the on the carpet in just total disbelief because there's two minutes and 16 seconds left. They're going to take the lead in that game, the way that game was going. And Michael said it, it's the only sack of the game. And that's why that play stands out is the camera getting Brady, right? And 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 don't, if I'm who said on the sideline because we're NFL Films had it uh, was it Doug Peterson who said I need all whatever you got what all you got all you whatever he said something like that because they needed a pass rush yep it's just again what were the chances everything would come and and don't forget do you remember a Foles against Atlanta he didn't play very well mm-hmm. the first playoff game they almost lost he looked bad against the Raiders filling in for Wentz. That's what made their their Super Bowl run so improbable. So much went right. Obviously, let's give the coaches and players credit, but so much had to go right. I mean, they literally had no margin for error. Well, you know what else? Somebody tweeted at me and said, oh, typical Eagles, they only have one Super Bowl, so they have to pick ten plays from one game. I said, you could win seven Super Bowls, (laughs) and that strip sack would still be the best play because of 
the the way that game was and who you got, the fact that it's Brady and Belichick, because the camera yeah. goes from Brady and then it goes over to Belichick, who has this look on his face of complete disbelief of, I can't believe we are going to lose this game. Mike, let me add something to what you just said. So I was asked, you know, as we all were, you know, all were, who are you picking? I said, I'm picking the Patriots. The only way that the Eagles will win is if Peterson outcoaches Belichick. Guess what? He did. Yoke, he outcoached Belichick. <laughs> right. And Matt Patricia, who was then the defense coordinator. And that's why, you know, you can make a case for the Philly special play because it was right before the half and it kind of set the tone for the aggressiveness of the rest of the game. But the strip sack has to be at the top of the list. And, and the funny thing about the the Philly Philly play is that I I, inter, I uh, actually I hosted an event with Zach Gertz and Zach said that the play was supposed to be a run play. Really? The real call was supposed to be a run play. Oh, Think about that. That's a, I've never heard that before. Yeah, so it's a, that, there's I, a I, nugget. Th- yep, Fuzio. Here's what happened. So I was hosting his charity event for Fuzio and. It was in my questions. I said, hey, Zach, you know, what, what was the play? And he, and he was laughing. He goes, I don't think we should have. He was laughing. He's like, well, it was a run play. He didn't say exactly what it was. And he was laughing. He goes, I think we made the right choice not to run that. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, just, unbelievable. And he tweeted it out. And I've never heard that before. Song. I've yeah, never heard yeah, that before. Yeah. How, about, how about that one? That's huh? pretty crazy. That they, Okay, so they had a play yeah. that they were yeah. going to call, and Foles kind of upstages them. Yeah, and again, um, we're, we we had John D. Flip on on uh, Inside the Birds with Mosher and I, and we'll, we'll ask John next time we have him on if he recalls what what, what the play was, because uh-huh. uh, obviously he was on the headset as a quarterbacks coach. Uh, really, just everything that happened that game, and, and uh, the, the just the the craziness of everything that had to happen. And one more nugget from that game: remember, you correct me if I'm wrong. I know it's most yardage in, in, in playoff history. Was it most yardage in any game in NFL history? I can't remember. In that Super Bowl? Or something? I'll have to look at it. Yeah, it was that. over 1,100. I know that. Combined for both teams. I just couldn't remember. It set, a, it set a playoff record, but I wasn't sure if it was the most in NFL history. But I know it was the most in playoff history. That's how crazy it was. What a trip down uh, memory lane that became. Yeah. Good stuff. Cool. Uh, we, and yeah. uh, speaking of calling plays, uh, let's yeah. get into that. Shane Steichen mentioned last week, we talked about it on Football at Four. He casually threw in that he started calling plays. So let's get into that. The impact of Steichen and calling the plays and how that might uh, make this offense uh, look different. Yeah, I'm glad we brought this up because we only touched it on passing, uh, in passing because we didn't have enough time to talk about it last Friday, Mike. So it, it's here's why they're doing it based on what I've heard. If you look at Jalen Hurts' career, one of the things he struggled with is continuity. If you look at what happened, remember he transferred from Alabama to Oklahoma. He didn't really have the same play caller going back eight to ten years, and that's really significant for such a young football player. We're not making excuses. Clearly he didn't play well enough last year. That's what the tape showed. But if if you want to be fair to him, at least keep him in the same offense with the same play caller. Well, we know they're going to run the same scheme. Now, how much they run versus pass is certainly a question. They're going to pass more, but how much more is the question? But number two, and very important, how about keeping the same play caller? So Steichen, and I, to this, I still don't know why he came out with that. I think Jeff McClain asked the, the he asked a question, and he goes, "Well, you know, last year around midseason, I called the plays, and I'm still I'm going to call them this year, which means full time." It's just my sense, like they want to keep the continuity going. And one another thing that people forget. Shane Steichen called the plays two years ago for Justin Herbert's rookie season. He did a good job. 
And the other part of it is he actually took over in 2019 when Ken Wisenhunt was fired as the Chargers OC. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time that Steichen took over the, the, the called plays at the NFL level. So he had basically roughly a season and a half plus last year. So this is a good move. And, and, a, and, and what I've heard is, I know he comes off of very plain and mundane in press conferences. I get that. I've kind of said that. Most people have. But behind the scenes, he's very vocal and has very good command and meaning. So I think that's something people were kind of criticizing for being very boring. What I'm told, Mike, not behind the scenes. Uh, I like the... Um as you mentioned, is the whole Hurts getting a chance now to have the same play call. You wonder how much that factored in. Um, or, you know, did Sirianni just get overwhelmed by, hey, I can't be the best head coach? You know, because that happens to these guys sometimes, yeah. Adam, is they can't be the head coach. And there was a lot of discussion about this. Doug, early in his career, was he was there too much on his plate calling all the plays? Do you not are you, Can you not be the best head coach if you're calling plays? Can you not divert your attention to other areas where it needs to be? Well, couple things, Mike, on that. So Joe Banner told us on Inside the Birds, Joe, the former president of the Eagles, said that while it had been reported maybe a couple times over the years that Andy handed off play calling, Joe said Andy handed off the play calling or Marty Morningweg or whoever his offense coordinator was. It could have been Brad Childress. So many times over the years that it never got reported. He can't even remember how many times. Like It could have been a couple dozen times. And it's to the point that you brought up. One time I know, remember when Jim Washburn was having issues with uh, Wonka Steele? I don't know if you remember that. Yep. Oh, yeah. 2011, Absolutely. I think. Uh, so Andy wanted to get a, basically what I remember, Andy wanted to get a better hold of the off, uh, excuse me, the defense, because they were struggling, obviously. <laughs> Giving Wonka Steele the defensive coordinator responsibilities after the lock, coming out of lockout was a mistake. And Jim Washburn was having issues. He didn't He didn't really respect Juan as a D.C., and Andy wanted to get a better hold of it. So he handed off the play calling responsibilities because he wanted to get a better hold. And then re- most recently, last year, not only the Eagles, Matt Nagy, uh, the then Bears head coach, handed off the play calling responsibilities to Bill Lazor for the second straight season because he was not, he just was not, this is a little different. He wanted, he said, listen, it's not working for me being the play caller. Let's give it to somebody else. But the, the, the problem is when you do it in season, Mike, you have to run the exact scheme. You can't change it up in season. Sure. So, so the whole thing is smart, though, uh, by, by Sirianni. And on, on your point, remember now, after five weeks, the Eagles were a top five pass attempt team. By the end of the season, they were a bottom ten because they became a running team. And that happened with Steichen calling the plays. Now, I do believe, though, that's what's, to be clear here, Sirianni wanted that. It, wasn't, it was not coming from above. Because it was not working asking Hurts to throw the ball 34 and a half times per game through the first six games. Okay, real quick, just why you brought it up. There are a ton of Philadelphia sports stories that could have a 30 for 30, but Andy Reid's decision to make Juan Castillo the defensive coordinator has to be high on that list. Uh, can I tell you how I – so this is a funny story. So <laughs> uh, I, it's funny. It's just, Everything you brought up today, we, we, it's not in our rundown. You just you – know, um, I'm, I'm – yeah, as you know, I'm fine with you. First stuff at me, and I love it because I get to get to, to jog my mind of what where I was and what happened. What do I remember? So I was not. I was traveling when Andy announced it. I might have been at the Super Bowl. Uh, so or whatever it was, I was not around you know, f- to be at Novacare when he talked about it. So Andy and I flew. You know, we every once in a while we'd fly. We'd be on the same flight to the owners' meetings or the combine, and it, w- it was either one of them. I said, Coach, hey, I wasn't there. Could you? Give me an idea of what you're thinking. And he explained it to me, and I, and I did understand what he was looking at. 
Because Juan, as an offensive line coach, though he did coach defense in college at uh, Texas A&I, Juan had not coached defense in you know, a couple decades. But he thought that, hey, listen, of all the guys that I talked to, Juan was the one guy I could break down an offensive line because he coached it. Now, I know there are some people in the league who thought Andy was crazy to do this come out of lockout, and the guys that coached defense in 20-some-odd years, why would you do this now? And it turned obviously turned out to be a mistake. But just hearing Andy's explanation, I kind of bought it. Obviously, I was wrong. <laughs> but when a guy who's there every day, you got to trust his judgment. But it isn't amazing how I think anyone who covered the team will tell you Andy lost his fastball with the Eagles, and I'm not going to run away from it. I was on record saying he needs to go. It just he just needs to go. He needs to he needs to leave and mm-hmm. go somewhere else. And guess what? That new lease on life and new energy was the best thing for him. And look how brilliant he's been since then. All right, uh, Adam Kappel, Inside the Birds podcast, InsideTheBirds.com. The new podcast will drop on Thursday at 6. you got Q&A. Check that out on their uh, Inside the Birds platform. Excellent show from those guys. Let's look at these OTAs. Give me uh, maybe sure. your three thoughts from OTAs, what we've got so far. Yeah, we're going to talk more about this Thursday because you know, Jeff and I will be there. Uh, and then plus we'll talk, check in with our sources and get, get, take an overview. Um, but... I know much, the media has not got much of a chance, as you know, Mike, to be at training camp. Uh, I mean, excuse me, OTAs, because that's just kind of the, the way the rules are now, because Eagles are not doing a mandatory camp. But from what I understand, Hurts definitely has looked better. Now, I know people are making a big deal about the accuracy, which I kind of laugh in OTAs because you're, you, you just, you're not being blitzed. Seven on seven, which is primarily what they're running as a passing drill, so you should do well. But from what I understand, his mechanics are cleaner. And that, that is one issue, Mike, that was significant last season. His mechanics were not good enough for work, were not good enough, not always set, would fall away from throws, needs to get his feet set. So everything I've heard so far, has been good. it's been better. But again, Mike, it, the OTAs are so light, and there's very little you can do. Let's not go crazy with saying the accuracy is better. Yeah, I mean, you should mention it, but that's good. Um, they're, they're rotating the, the backup corners a lot. They're, the that number three outside corner job is, it, it, it should be McPherson's, but for what I understand is they're rotating there a little bit. And the Kobe Dean, another one. Don't over, it doesn't really mean anything that Dean's running third team. He's learning the defense. He'll be starting this season, Mike. You know, they, they're basically a two, two linebacker defense anyway. Or when they go, their base is, their, their base is not the way other teams do it. Uh, we know that their, their strong side linebacker will be strictly be a pass rusher and they'll be a, he'll no longer be a run defender. Uh, we know that Reddick's just going to rush the passer. But when they play the, the, the two tackling linebackers, Dean will be one of them. Let's, let's call it like it is. I just kind of laugh when people make, make light of, oh, my God, Dean's third, he's third-string linebacker. Well, yeah, he's got to learn the defense. Right. First time he's seen this defense before. So we got, uh, you know, the, the linebackers, we're all going to be keeping an eye on that. Obviously, Hurts, Nick Sirianni, he mentioned about the mechanics of Jalen Hurts. Uh, he had, you know, had talked to Sal Pal about that and said that was the big thing they want to watch for, uh, Jalen Hurts. And then, uh, the defense, I think there's so many storylines, as you mentioned. And then, uh, one of the biggest stories of this offseason is all of the front office changes as we roll into these last OTAs here. Do we finally have that in place? Yeah, and let me just, you know, we don't have 20 minutes here, so let me sum this up in a minute. It's still going to be Howie Rosa making decisions. I, I, that's never been a question. But it's how they arrive at making a personnel decision. Analytics will be heavily, they've always been involved, but it's going to be even more so. 
and that's why Alec Hallaby is, is one of their assistant GMs. They've made over 20 front office changes. This includes promotions and Crazy. people leaving and so forth. But I don't. I know people think there's some nefarious reasons. I don't see it that way. Uh, the rewarding people have been there for a while. Are very talented. Uh, they br- brought in Brandon Helm from Pittsburgh. He's not. He doesn't have the job that he originally interviewed for, but it's still for a pretty good job. He's a very odd title. And as we said forever on Inside the Birds, don't pay attention to the titles. Pay, if you're just studying it, pay attention to what these people actually do. And how he, what I like, what he did was, I still think they should have more fo- football people. We're talking about people who played. But I like that Dave Caldwell got promoted, the former Jaguars uh, GM, who's Howie's known for a long time. And Matt Russell, who's a very talented evaluator, who Howie brought back. You know, he used to be with the Eagles over a decade ago. So that's good. But I'm, I'm, I'm still going to keep an eye on what, when these decisions, how much are they analytically driven, because they've done such a good job of combining analytics and, and, and tape study the last two years. But, but with Al Calabi, who's their, one of their assistant GMs, getting more of a say, I'm very curious how this is going to work. All right. A uh, lot of changes. By the way, was Caldwell the GM of the team that went to the AFC Championship game? He was in 2017. Now, now here's the thing. Tom Coughlin... What, remember, he took over the director of football operations, and, and Coughlin had personnel control then. But Dave also drafted a lot of those good players that they still have, and that's the point. Gotcha. All right. Uh, Adam Kaplan, good conversational trip down memory lane. Yeah, awesome. uh, some good uh, jogging the memory there and some uh, good stories from Adam. Check out the Inside the Birds podcast, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcast. It'll drop Thursday morning at 6 a.m. And Adam's back on Friday with Nuggets from OTAs. All right, pal. Thank you. All right, Adam Kaplan here on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. Hey, when we come back, we've got today's headlines, including... The Phillies have made a couple of roster moves, some actual uh, interesting names. We actually brought up a name earlier today with Frank, and he got caught up today. Also, a firing in baseball. Ho-ho! The Phillies got their manager fired, and then they got another team's manager fired. I got the details coming up next here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. Now, back to the Sports Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. ESPN. All right, 427, let's get into some of today's headlines. Uh, we gave you a couple of uh, teases of some headlines. The Phillies have made a bunch of moves. Another manager fired in baseball. This is a big name firing. And I got a couple stories as well. So I want to get to the. Although I don't know that these are your stories. <laughs> well, I do have a couple in in the hopper, but until before these baseball stories happen. But so the Phillies are putting uh, Johan Camargo on the ten day injured list, retroactive to yesterday. So it'll be ten days from yesterday, he would be eligible to come back. In the meantime, they have recalled Matt Beerling and the selected contract of Scott Kingery from Lehigh Valley. They've also placed Zach Wheeler on paternity leave. Uh, of course, this Kingery news comes on the heels of you and Frank talking about Kingery earlier today, and Bob Wankel decided to tweet that the Phillies are cashing on their $6 million 
Insurance well, it's funny that Kingery got called up because I asked, you asked Frank, Frank earlier, like, about what's he, what's doing? he doing, and he said he's hitting 185. Yeah. So he's been struggling along there. Veerling apparently has been on fire down at um, uh, AAA. So he gets called back up. Wheeler goes on the paternity list. I wonder, is he going to miss a start? Uh, I don't know. They didn't bring they, a pitcher up here. They didn't say he's going to miss a start. It just says... He's on paternity list. So maybe it's just a roster move to have a body on the roster kind of thing. Yeah, Veerling's 8 for 16 in his last four games with two doubles, a triple, and a homer. He he's, also on that, he's also on that commercial almost every break when you're watching NBC Sports. <laughs> I tweeted this out when I first saw the commercial. I said, he's got the best agent in all of sports. Right? Like Whoever's his agent to get him a commercial. Right. And he is like the last guy on the team I would think would have a commercial. Like, it's the same, you know, you see Tyrese Maxey in a commercial. Like, okay, that makes sense. But Matt Vierling? By the way, the same company that Matt Vierling does commercial for, Walker Bueller does the national version of that commercial for. Okay. That makes a little more sense. By the way, Wheeler is on the paternity list. He's not scheduled to pitch until Friday. Maybe the hope is he'll be back by Friday. So Kingery and Vierling are up. Camargo's on the injured list. In the meantime, Joe Madden's been fired. Yeah, this is crazy. Um, they're on a 12-game losing streak. So Madden gets fired. He's one of these guys that was like thought to be this, you know, outside the box stinker years ago. You wonder, you know, if the league kind of caught up. Like he was the analytic guy before the analytics. Right, he got to the World Series with the Rays. He won a World Series with the Cubs. Thing, he got to the World Series with the Rays. When the Phillies won. That's how long ago that was. Right. But then he got to the World Series eight years later with the Cubs and won it. So the theory was is that, well, now the Angels got a got a great uh, succession plan from Socha because Madden was on Socha's staff before he got the Rays job. And according to Jeff Passan, two weeks ago, the Angels were 27-17. and 17. Today, they're 27-29 and 29 after their 12-game losing streak, and they have fired their manager. Yep. Um, and Phil Nevin's going to be the new manager there. Yeah, former, uh, I believe, with the Padres and the Astros. The first pick in the draft. Cal State Fullerton. Come on, dude. You're supposed to know this stuff. That's what we would depend on you for. You didn't know Mike Riley today. Now you don't know no, Phil no, Nevin no, was no, the no, first no, no. pick See, now in the you're draft. I did not know who Mike Riley no, was. No, I'm saying you didn't know that he was an NFL coach. I didn't remember. Same okay. thing. Not remembering and not knowing are one and the same. It's just no, one not. way of saying, I didn't know that. I know who Mike Riley is. I didn't say you didn't know who he was. I said he. we were talking about coaches who went from college to pro and i said mike riley and you challenged me on that no i didn't challenge you Uh, you did look it up you looked it up i look everything up i look at things up i even say don't hand me i don't think you remembered that's all and i said phil nevin played for the astros and the padres and you jumped in yeah and said yeah first overall pick cal fullerton did you know that i didn't know that i think he's lying a chance to say it i think he's lying I think you were so intent on letting everyone else know that you knew that you didn't give a chance for me to say No, I gave you some room. We could play that back. There was some room to breathe in there. Room to breathe is not room to talk. So that's what you were going to say next? I wasn't planning (laughs) on running down his entire baseball reference bio. All right. Let me get some good stories here. Let me get some good stories here. All right. Number one. 
Uh, Tiger made the announcement today. He's going to skip the U.S. Open. This is one of my... Said his body can't handle it anymore. Yes. Uh, but he's going to try to... He's taking off because he wants to play in the British. He wants to build up his strength, he says, yeah. for major championship golf. And I think it's a fair decision by him. Now, this comes on the heels of another Tiger story simultaneously today. Live Golf Investment CEO Greg Norman told the Washington Post that Tiger Woods turned down, quote, an obscene amount of money to join the rival golf league. According to Norman, quote, we're talking about high nine digits, unquote. Wow. Reportedly, wow. this is the same organization that offered $100 million to Jack Nicholas. Dustin Johnson is getting somewhere in the neighborhood of $125 million to sign on as a free-to-play in the league. And it stands that Tiger Woods, according to CBS Sports, would have received at least that much, if not more. Hmm. So Tiger Woods isn't just not playing in the U.S. Open. He's telling the Live Golf Tour, take your money somewhere else. Good for Tiger. Because the other guys are just piggish. By the way, the text board says Josh clearly didn't know. I agree with that guy. Now, is this that is guy... like a, the replay official. We should play it back. Okay, so the, the, the listeners could be the replay official, like in Secaucus. They can listen back to the play, and then they can. <laughs> if you guys are sitting in this room, Josh takes everything as serious as can be. He cannot take an argument as having a good time. He is intently trying to argue there's, there's his point. There's a difference between having a good time and just taking an opportunity to just jab somebody. I'm not. I'm just saying. I said, you said Phil Nevin, Padres, and Astros. And I said, and then you and he was the number one in, pick, he and he played at Cal State Fullerton. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I didn't know it. It just means that you jumped in and said that. Okay. They're not one and the same. I said earlier, I did not remember that Mike Riley coached the Chargers. You seem that very is, upset. No, I am very... Does he not seem upset, people? I'm a big believer in... Let's not blur the lines, okay? If I don't know something, I am very willing to admit that. I make fun of myself for not knowing certain things. I don't know a single one of your Seinfeld references. And I am willing to say that I am a dope for not watching Seinfeld. You're not a dope. You just chose not to watch it. Doesn't make you a dope. I'm willing to admit if I don't know something. Well, I don't think you knew the Nevin. I think you're lying. I think that you're choosing to <laughs> paint that direction. That's my opinion. I don't think you knew it, just like that guy right there. I mean, I would like to know with that. Texture, he was the number one overall pick. Did you know that? Yes. Cal I didn't State know what college he went to. Cal, oh, all right. Well, now you don't, now you said before you said you did know. No, no, no. Now you're changing I it. You said, didn't I knew know. He was, you asked me, did you know he was the first overall pick? I said yes. Right, let me get you another story because nobody believes you. This story is more of a comment from Gary Payton. Did you see this? Gary Payton Sr. or the son? That's the question I asked you yesterday. Senior. Okay. He said, this era is about shooting threes, getting up and down, and entertainment. It is what it is. But I played in what I think was the best era ever. I think the 90s was the best era ever. That's Gary Payton. 90s were the best era ever. Basketball. He says, this era is about shooting threes, mm -hmm. getting up and down, and entertainment. It is what it is. All right. So my first question, if I could throw it back to you, Mike, is 
do you feel like the 90s were the best era of basketball? I think it was a better game than the current game. I think the players may be more athletic and skilled now, but it's just like baseball. A lot of guys can have exit velocity and hit home runs, but none of them can hit. They can hit 220, but we've lowered the standard of what a good hitter is. So now a 240 hitter by some jackass out there has decided that's good, acceptable, because he might connect and put the ball over the fence 20 times a year. It's like basketball. These players can shoot. They shoot more threes. It doesn't necessarily mean they can shoot the three very well. So I like the game better, even though the offensive game wasn't as good. It had more personality. It had more. It had more flair. Well, you would say like now he said it's all entertainment. I don't know. We can ask Scoop B. What do you think he'll say? He might go to 90s. Really? Your Scoop B would be part of the, nor- the newer generation. You ask him coming on next. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Had another story in here somewhere. I'll have to get to it later. Um, there's a lot of notes I have here because of stuff. That- oh, DK Metcalf, by the way, he didn't show up for uh, mandatories today with that contract situation. That's something to keep an eye on. Debo Samuel did, though. So these wide receivers, stories might not be done. All right, uh, Brandon Scoopy Robinson, he had an interview with George Niang, all right? He had an interview with George Niang and asked him about adjusting to the James Harden trade. You might be surprised at Niang's answer next. Now, back to more. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. On 97.3 ESPN, South Jersey's sports leader. All right, 443 on a Sports Bash Tuesday. NBA Finals tomorrow night. You can hear the game here on 97.3 ESPN. Brandon Scoopy Robinson will be there. Valley Sports NBA insider. He's covering the NBA Finals in Boston. We'll get some NBA Finals conversation. I'll ask him about Gary Payton's comments. And he had an interview posted. You can check out the comments on his Twitter page, at Scoop B. He got a chance to catch up with uh, George Niang on Bally Sports and asked him about meshing with James Harden and how long it took, Scoop B. And I guess the answer he gave was, I don't know that it ever happened. Uh, when will it happen? Will it happen at all? Uh, so what you take from that answer from George Niang? Always good to talk to you, Mike. Um, I don't think George meant anything uh, malicious by it. Uh, I've gotten to know George uh, over the past year uh, on and offline. And um, I, I think in this instance, it's more about yelling. And that's kind of the an- a similar answer um, that I got. Uh, I was with Tyrese Maxey last week in San Francisco. Um, just the process of, you know, Tyrese becoming um, – 
kind of a, a two-way player as it relates to uh, knowing when to score, knowing when to distribute. And, you know, that's kind of just been something that he has been um, kind of zeroing in on and, and shared with me back in January that, you know, Sam Cassell said once you assistant coach for the Sixers, once you master that, um, you know, you, the, the work the work will just continue to flow. So I, I think in this instance with George Niang comparatively, uh, I think he was more mentioned the fact that, you know, Joel can command the double team. He can kick out of the double team. You know, Tyrese is still growing. And the fact that he's only 21 years old and he sees he's blossoming right before. I, then, you know, James Harden kind of adjusts in the trade with the Brooklyn Nets and the Sixers are finding, um, you know, their identity uh, in, a, in a half of season. I think that's a good problem to have. Right. And I think uh, the answer, as you mentioned, nothing malicious there, but I think it kind of highlights to the Sixers fans that this is normal, that you don't just trade for a guy and then he gets incorporated perfectly and everything's hunky-dory. Very few times does a guy get traded and the team goes off and wins a championship uh, because of that trade, especially at that magnitude. Oh, definitely. I, I think there are some cases where um, you've seen it uh, in recent years. You, you did see KG and, 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 and Ray Allen. Well, KG was traded. Well, Ray Allen was too, but uh, joining the, the Boston Celtics with, with Paul Pierce, they were a bit older at this point. Um, and then you, 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 I'll add this. You did see it in 2004 uh, with the Pistons mm-hmm. when Rasheed Wallace, now a member of uh, the, the Lakers coaching staff as an assistant, uh, Philly's own, found his way uh, to the Detroit Pistons, uh, and 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 they won a championship that year with Rip Hamilton, uh, Chauncey Billups, Ben Wallace, Tayshawn Prince, and others under head coach, former Sixers head coach Larry Brown. I, I think there are certain cases where you see it, but um, I don't think that you can really compare where they were at that point to who James Harden uh, is now uh, in the league uh, and his role with the 76ers. So um, I I think you bring up a valid point, um, but, you know, in year one of both those experiments, the Pistons didn't make a trade that found them in the finals, and then the Celtics made a trade that found themselves uh, in the 2008 NBA Finals against the Lakers, and it won. Anything is possible. Now, not asking you for any, uh, unless you have some inside knowledge, but what kind of uh, offseason do you anticipate Daryl Morey going with him? I mean, how, how's this all going to unfold in your mind? Because I would imagine this Harden thing will be the first key to the offseason and, and how the and how Morey kind of directs which way he's going to go. Daryl is a man of few words. Um, I did send him my interview with um, Tyrese Maxey, and he liked it uh, with a <laughs> thumbs-up emoji. As I mentioned, man of few words. Um, but what I will say is, um, I, I think in the in this instance with um, James Harden, um, I, I think that he and Kyrie Irving comparatively are in a, in a similar situation. Um, there are people who don't think that they deserve uh, a max extension um, and feel that you know it should be uh, a scale less uh, or a restructuring of such. Uh, with with some incentives, um, I think that's a bit difficult because Harden is a top seventy five player all time. Uh, Kyrie is as well, but uh, was is not on paper. Um, and so to keep it Philadelphia uh, and, and all things Delaware Valley, um, I, I think that the Sixers need some things. I think the Sixers uh, do need uh, an, an enforcer, if you will. Um, it starts on the defensive end. You know, every I, I feel like um, the Sixers have too many nice guys. They need a jerk. Um, they need a P.J. Tucker. And I'm not calling him a jerk 
um, by nature, but more just the way um, he sees things and the way he bullies on the floor that makes him a basketball jerk. Uh, and I think that um, there are some other things that that are needed. I, I think specifically um, shooting is, is definitely there. You, you know, George appearing over at Bally Sports is there. They'll be without Danny Green, I, I would say presumably because of that gruesome injury. Um, so you need some shooting and you need – um, you need some some bigs. Like I'll be honest with you, when you look at the 76ers, in my mind, um, the trade that they made with the Brooklyn Nets, the thing that they gave up um, that I think uh, was lacking in the playoffs, one was a backup big man or power forward, if you will, uh, that could spell uh, Joel Embiid. Now, surely. Uh, you, you you look at Andre Drummond; he would have been that piece had he not been shipped to Brooklyn. Um, and 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 I think um, you also look at the, the shooting um, lacking uh, thereof with uh, a Seth Curry. How do you replicate that uh, going into next season? Um, there are, are some interesting restricted free agents uh, that could be in the marketplace, um, and there are also some signing trade opportunities that I feel Philadelphia could be part of uh, that could fortify their roster even more with some of the things that I think they're lacking death-wise. Uh, Brandon Scroopy Robinson, Bally Sports NBA Insider. Uh, that's some Sixers stuff. Let's look at the finals. You were out west. You're now back. Uh, what in your mind, what's the the story of this series so far? You had a Boston win in game one, so they did what they needed to do. Then you have... Golden State come back. You got all this chippiness going on. The Draymond Green as they come back to Boston. Where is this series in your mind? I've always thought that this was going to go six or seven games. I think it's going to be the chess match, the teeter totter, if you will. Um, I think that um, Iguodala, who who Steve Kerr uh, shared, that is questionable. He did practice today. Um, I think that in their loss, uh, they tinkered with some things, meaning the Warriors. Um, that I think they needed to. Number one, um, implementing uh, Gary Payton II uh, definitely, um, to me, uh, gave them the ability to, to kind of instill a, a level of confidence of coming back. GP2 said to me that um, he told me after game one, yo, coach has to play me. I, I really need to play. I got I to gotta get some minutes. Um, I, I think the one thing um, that is interesting about this series is the Warriors could have been up 2-0. And really and truly, they, they gave up uh, a lead uh, going into, what, the fourth quarter in game one. In game two, they took over in game in, in the third quarter. Um, and I think it's really um, it, it really a, a testament to what the playoffs have been overall. Just because you're up in the first half doesn't mean it's a guaranteed win in the second half. And so I think lowering, lowering uh, costly turnovers, Draymond Green, Excuse me, Draymond Green continuing to be Draymond Green. Um, defensively, I think he's done a great job. Um, I'll also add, you know, Dre shared with me that uh, he looks at Andrew Wiggins as their premier wing defender um, on this team, and he's done it throughout the course of the playoffs. And, you know, Steve Kerr echoed that to me today. Um, he said that um, he feels like Wiggins uh, has made great strides, and it's no surprise that he's in the position that he's in now because he just does what he needs to do. I think there was such a focus that he was going to be this this um, this this, this uh, premier star in the league coming out of coming out of college, and um, he found his role as one of the guys. Everybody doesn't have to be a superstar, but he's a man amongst the stars, and I think Jordan Poole is the guy that's flirting with becoming that third star legitimately 
on that Warriors team, and he really got hot in the third quarter. But on the Boston side, uh, I think it's number one former Sixer, uh, Al Horford, uh, finding his groove. And, and more, so it's a lot to, to kind of you know to, to, to figure out there, which makes this uh, a compelling series. We'll end with this. You mentioned Gary Payton's son. The father said this era is about shooting threes, getting up and down, and entertainment. It is what it is. But I played in what I think is the best era ever. I think the '90s was the best era ever. Is Gary Payton the father accurate? Well, you know, I've got my start at 12 years old in 97 doing radio, and I knew Gary uh, when he played uh, and know him now in a different way, uh, lane. Gary says how he feels. Um, I spent some time with him out in Oakland, and, and, and he's just a straight shooter. Um, I think there's some validity to what he says, but I also think that it teeter-totters on the line of being an old head, and you don't want to seem like a grumpy old man. Gary's my dude through and through. Um, I, I think that ultimately um, – the line, or my answer is, it's just a different era with three-pointers three and, and just uh, positionless basketball rules the earth. In Gary Sr.'s era, you were specialists. Steve Kerr was a three-point specialist. Gary Payton was a defensive specialist. Del Curry was a three-point specialist. Two different eras. So I, I think it's a little difficult to compare eras. I like both. I prefer the 90s just because that's what I grew up on. There we go. All right. Brandon Scoopy Robinson, Bally Sports NBA Insider. He's in Boston. Game three is tomorrow night right here on 97.3 ESPN. You can hear all the action. And, of course, uh, the Sixers offseason, when that gets underway, we'll have our eye on that. Scoopy, always a pleasure, man. My brother, thank you for the opportunity to be myself. Absolutely. As always here on the Sports Bash, we like hearing from Scoop. And as he mentioned, Daryl Morey, man of few words. My father used to call me that. You know that? A man of few words is what my dad would say to me. And here I am talking for four hours every single day. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Got the Phillies lineup here. Schwarber. Hoskins, Harper, Castellanos, Real Muto, DD is back. He is in the six hole. Alec Bohm hits seventh place third. Bryson Stott is over at second base. Mickey Moniak in center field. He hits ninth, and it's the Rangers Suarez on the mound. Schwarber, Hoskins, Harper, Castellanos, Real Muto, Gregorius, Bohm, Stott, Moniak. That's your Philly starting lineup tonight here. On the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. All right. They will face Jason Alexander of the Milwaukee Brewers tonight. All right. On the other side, we asked you earlier, simple question, had a lot of fun with it. There was a debate on social media about the most iconic Philadelphia sports play in history. I gave you my answer. It's a Tuesday with Thompson. We'll see what the PT says. Coming up next here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN and the 97.3 ESPN free mobile app. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, 5 o'clock hour, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. I'm Mike Gill. You can follow me on Twitter, at Mike Gill Show. Don't forget, you can get the full podcast of every show 
Go to our website, 973ESPN.com, or download the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. If you miss a segment or something you wanted to go back and hear, an interview, football at four, you can go get the podcast of the Sports Bash over at Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, yada, yada. You know where all the places are. I think you listen to enough podcasts by now. All right. It is a Tuesday, and that means Pete Thompson is here for another edition of Tuesday with Thompson. It's brought to you by the Atlantic City Airport. Plan your summer vacation now. Spirit Airlines is offering nonstop flights from Atlantic City International Airport to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, Miami, and other exciting destinations. Visit Spirit. Dot com. All right, there's the PT. Hi, Pete. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm doing good. We got a lot going on here. We have so much to discuss. Uh, we were all at the Phillies game this weekend. Josh, Saturday, you and I there for the big one on Sunday, Pete. Yeah, your seats were a little nicer than mine, as I think. Let me look back and see what your text was again, because I do remember it was all related to food. Yes, I am filled with mango and mango, steak and shake, and more. <laughs> well, the, I, so I bring this up because when we got to the suite, there was four of us. Now, the suite obviously Four. had enough food for the whole suite. Well, right. the other people never showed up until, like, the third inning. So we wow. thought we're, like, we felt bad because we're in there with the woman who was, like, working. And there yeah, was, she like, tries to push the food, like, you know, I mean, come on, you pay for it, eat it. Right, know? and then, like, we'd eat something, and as soon as we would put the plate down, she was picking it up because she had, like, nothing to do. <laughs> Uh, sounds like a nice day for me. I mean, you know, the difference was uh, I came up from the shore, so I uh, hit traffic. And, yes, your shirt looks very nice. I came up from the shore, and I hit traffic, so I didn't get there till the top of the second. And my father, God bless him, had texted me and said, hey, get me a hot dog on the way in. So then I thought, well, let me push my luck here and see, you know, what would you like on the hot dog? And he said, Mustard and onions. And I said, okay. So I go to get them the hot dog. Well, guess what you can't get right now? Onions. They don't have like freestanding onions just sitting out there. They had mustard. So at least I got them some mustard. And then what's funny, Gil, is that I made some money in the transaction. There were a couple millennials behind me who only when they got in the line did they realize everything was cashless. So the kid behind me goes, excuse me, sir. And I said, yeah. He goes, if I give you a $20 bill, will you buy me two sausage and pepper sandwiches? <laughs> and I was like, uh, sure. And he goes, you'll make a couple bucks off it. And I was like, yeah, sure. Okay. You know, so that's what well, I that was did. like the girl came into the suite who does like that sells the 50 50 tickets. Oh, so did you she, buy one? Yeah, we bought $20 worth, like 80 okay. numbers for 20 bucks. But she's like, you know, it's like one for uh, three for five, five, five for 10, blah, 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 blah. So everybody had like a twenty dollar bill. She's like, "We only it's nope. no cash." Yeah. Guard, How about that? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's uh, you know the funny thing about the fifty fifty is so my dad's seats are in one fourteen, and you're basically looking right to left. You're on first base essentially, but you're you know the batter's box, the umpire, everything is to your left. Well, a girl comes down with fifty fifty, and she's got a little you know credit card reader or whatever and some lady throws her hands up and says I'll, I'll i'll take some so the girl goes to complete the transaction all right you know so somebody wants to take a five well then somebody else must see what's happening and the poor girl could recognize like she's like i'm gonna i'm gonna come around but then the person was really insistent like don't go away i want to gamble 
So she does that. And then the guy next to us starts getting restless. And he's like, can't see the game. Can't see the game. <laughs> so my dad's kind of chuckling. And, I'm ch- and then a third person actually, you know, and it's, I mean, at that point, the Phillies were losing. So I guess I understand why, you know, you put five bucks in or 20 bucks in and dream. It was a decent pot. It was like 35,000, 18 something was the net. Well, so did I tell you that Bryce Harper's foul ball went into our suite? You sent me a text on it, but at that point, I didn't know where your suite was. Um, I, think I wasn't in there, though. Forth. I wasn't yeah. in there when it happened. So did anybody get it in your suite? Yeah, like, there was, was a little kid in there. So there was a little kid in his family. Like, it was uh, the mom, dad, and then he. Had, I guess there was, like, uh, he had two sisters and him. So there was, like, a family of four, and then there was another family, and then there was, a, like, a grandfather and, 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 like, his grandson, and then us. But they didn't show The grandfather and the son didn't get there until... I want to say like the fifth inning. Wow! And the other wow. group well, got there. Was there was a lot of traffic, short traffic coming back. Right. The other group, they, well, so they got there. Whatever. We were there for like an inning or two with nobody in there. So the 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 Harper foul ball. There was like a plane of like plastic. You know that little plexiglass so you don't fall out. Yeah. The ball hit right on top of that apparently, and then came in. Oh, that's great! Now yeah, you're I in one fourteen. My- Do you ever catch a foul ball there? No, uh, at the bottom of 114 one time, my father, my brother used to have seats. These are 114 row 39. My brother had seats in 114 row two. And like in one of those Philly blowouts, and my father never leaves early, in one of those blowouts where they were down like eight or ten runs. A You're lucky you didn't leave ago. early on Sunday, Pete. Oh, we didn't leave. No, we watched the whole thing. Well, everybody, everybody in our suite left except for us. Now. Good. Now, good, that doesn't good mean, on them. Good that, on them. Now, that doesn't mean that there were people in our booth who weren't trying to leave. <laughs> I can see what you're doing there. I'm saying that you were okay staying and somebody else wanted to leave. <laughs> no, Heidi and I were both fine. Doug was okay. His wife was uh, wanting ah, to get out of there. <laughs> I, okay, I thought you were throwing Heidi Bay under the bus. No, 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 no. This, she was fine. My father will stay. I mean, there was one year we were in a suite like you were for my father's birthday, and they got just blown, the doors blown off them by the Reds. It was like 10 nothing or 12 nothing. But you're in a suite. You got free food, free drink, and why the hell would you leave? Well, right? Philly's you won. Know, and in this case, we didn't leave. And, boy, I mean, wasn't it? I don't know how it felt in your suite, but I think because his seats are in 39, and I think because it's a Sunday game with high attendance, by the way, and so many people – that wave of sound that hit, like, literally, you know, he's right at first base. So as soon as the ball cleared the infield and kept rising, you're like, holy crap, that's out. And you just start jumping up and down. I, I damn near passed out, Mike Gill. I was so excited, jumping up and down, high-fiving strangers, COVID be damned. You know, I mean, we just, everybody was hugging. Everybody was yelling and screaming. I almost tripped over my dad because... He did not jump up, but he was very happy to see what happened. I will say when the I was standing up right at that plexiglass because Harper was up, and I'm like, oh, maybe I'll stand in this spot in the event that Harper rips one this way, right? And the second he made contact with that ball, gone. I was like, hands Bing. up in the air, <laughs> woo! Unbelievable. I, it was like an epic moment. Did you think it was louder? I, I maintain that it was louder for Harper's Grand Slam than it was for Stott's game-winning home run. 
I think more people left by then because you gave up a oh, run. What happened? Yeah, Corey Knable gave up that run. Yeah. But uh, so I thought it was louder than that. But it, it very much. And I think I, you know, Bob Wankel, who I love when you have him on, I tweeted back at Crossing Broad and some other people that that's as loud as I've felt in that stadium since at least 08 or 09, you know, at least that long ago. Yeah, it was probably one of the better, you know, I mean, you get the firing of the manager, you got Mike Trout there. So you had a little bit of, uh, you know, excitement going on, a little buzz. They won the first two. Um, by the way, the Phillies looks like they got Joe Madden fired. He got fired today. I saw that and I heard you tease it and I was at a red light and I said, God, is he talking about Joe Madden? And then I called it up and see you later, alligator. Thanks sure for enough. playing. Uh, Pete yeah. Thompson's, uh, column in the, uh, shore local is called Extra Points with Pete. And uh, you wrote about the Phillies manager getting fired. That was number one on the list. We saw them win this weekend. We also know that uh, Eagles training camp is coming back. July 26 is now, we know, the start of training camp. Uh, did you ever used to go to Lehigh or Westchester? My brother and I were talking about that last week. There was an infamous story when I was in Nebraska, and I came back and got some passes to uh lehigh i guess it was the first year they were at lehigh they'd left westchester and it was definitely it was ricky waters was on the team his first year with the eagles whatever year that was and we went up and had some like sideline passes i wasn't media really per se i just knew some people and uh the cameras you know those little disposable cameras i mean you didn't have a camera on your phone so i handed my camera to a guy and said can you take a picture of us and he took a picture of me, my brother, and Ricky Waters. And infamously, Ricky turned to my brother and said, I don't think he was pointing that camera at our faces. <laughs> so we're like, huh, what a weird thing to say. And then my brother sees Irving Fryer, and I mentioned something about Nebraska, and we take a picture with Irving Fryer. Well, the last two pictures on the roll, and remember, he used to get the negatives, right? The last two pictures on the roll were of my brother, myself, and Ricky Waters junk basically our waist down <laughs> and then the last picture now let me uh do this on the stream yard properly here there you go this is the here i gotta go this way uh the last picture was like this there you go can right. you see that accurately I we're do. like so for I, the people I, listening on the radio basically half of his face is cut off right uh irving fryer is in the picture and it slices right down my brother's nose and those were the infamous last two pictures. So, yeah, we used to go to training camp a little bit. Uh, first story I ever did for TV40 was Terrell Owens at Lehigh. It was like 89 degrees and 98% humidity. PT went through like 10 towels. I uh, made Big Red laugh because I asked him about Corel Buckholder in Nebraska. And Speaking of uh, TV40, there was an uh, old video of you wearing a Jason Peters jersey that surfaced on social media. <laughs> Do you like that? Yeah, I mean that. And the where'd you find we Sean Landetta? Well, I guess somebody had met him at one of the functions and was looking were looking for an eagle to be in the promo. And Sean Landetta was who they picked. Uh, somebody came back and said, "Why? Why couldn't you have gotten John Dornboss to do it?" And at that point, I didn't know John Dornboss. So, but yeah, it was pretty funny. Uh, uh, Skeldon, Dan Skeldon was in his Tom Brady jersey. Mike Frankel, I believe, was in a Brian Dawkins jersey or Lito Shepard. The PT, Peter, barely squeezing like a sausage casing into the Jason Peters jersey. And then uh, Pat Carragher was in a Chiefs jersey because he's a big Chiefs guy. So. Okay, uh, this text message wants to know, why didn't I invite the PT 
up in the box when everyone left in the seventh. Yeah, that's uh, well, a good question, but it's really hard to get from one level to the other. I mean, there's a couple answers to this question, by the four, way. Yeah, three hundred down to one hundred, but it's really hard to get from one hundred yeah. level seats to a suite. It's like Fort Knox trying to get up there. Let me tell you, they had us going all over the place, showing all sorts of things. They had guys pulling out their IDs, but the PT was also there with his father. Yes. Yes. Now, Who I came down to the visit street, the PT. A running start. Yeah, I came down to visit, and I texted the PT on our way to see the PT, whistled and waved me. That's It just took me a long time. Look, if you saw the crowd where we were sitting, we didn't have a lot of room. I had a young couple and their one-year-old daughter sitting next to me. I had my father wedged in his seat. You know, they're not hey, down there in the 100 level. They're not that wide. So we'll see the I answer. did not take my phone out of my pocket for a long time. And well, then so when I saw it, it was like 40 minutes after. Well, I well to answer that guy's question, I did make an attempt to try to meet up with Pete, it, not the other way around. That's all. <laughs> and I can't get to the – I mean, I couldn't get up there. Oh, by the way, uh, did Phil never never play for Cal State Forward? <laughs> was that your text messages coming in? No, but I I was dying laughing. I was coming out of the voting booth of all places and over at Roland Rogers and just dying at Josh's. I could hear the steam coming out of his ears. <laughs> uh, how about Mike uh, Gill? Do you know Cal State Fullerton's most famous baseball alum that really isn't a baseball player but is very famous? Uh, Phil Nevin. No, no. He went to Cal State Fullerton. <laughs> yeah, Phil Nevin. He likes the sport of baseball, but he did not go pro in baseball. I don't and have he's, that answer. He's, he's very famous. Don't have that answer. And he's made a movie or two or three about baseball. Who, Kevin Costner? That is correct. Kevin wow. Costner went to Cal State Fullerton. How about That's it? Correct. Yes. Uh, what do you think about this uh, Live Golf Tour, PT? I'll tell you what, so I wrote my column today for extra points like you're talking about in Shore Local, and I, Dustin Johnson was the big news this morning that he's leaving as well. Phil Mickelson was the news yesterday, uh, and there's other big names in there that are going. You know, uh, Martin Keimer, uh, Sergio Garcia, Charles Schwartzel, Graham McDowell, Louis Oosthuizen. You know, I mean, all these guys are, are leaving um, for just boatloads of cash, too. Uh I'm curious to see if it'll work or not. I know this, like, there's a lot of egg on the face of the PGA Tour. The USGA quickly came out and said, look, we're not banning anybody from the U.S. Open. You know, for example, Mickelson, he's certainly welcome to come play the U.S. Open on the exemption or DJ, Dustin Johnson, uh, on the exemptions that they have because, you know, that's a PGA Tour thing. That's not a USGA thing. So it's, uh, I, I've been following it and then, I had already submitted my column by the time Tiger backed out of the U.S. Open, uh, which I guess, you know, it, it makes sense. I mean, look, the first round that he had at Augusta was unbelievable, and then he faded each round after that. It's amazing he made the cut. PGA, you know, I just don't think he has enough in the tank to play four rounds of uh, high-level golf, and I can certainly relate to that. The last time I played, last Tuesday with my brother, I was tired by about 13 or 14. All right, Pete Thompson, uh, in the 3 o'clock hour, we asked what was the most iconic play in Philadelphia sports history. Now, Barstool Philly asked the question, and they actually added that is not Philly special or the step over. Now, I said those two answers can be acceptable because I don't have either one of them as my answer. 
Yeah, and I knew what your answer was going to be because I've heard you talk about it before. I also enjoyed the fact that you are a true radio professional, Mike Gill. You started that at the 3 o'clock hour, and at 3.42, there was a gentleman that was still in his car listening because he was like, I, I literally, I literally had a guy who I don't know at all just send me a message on Facebook Messenger saying, I missed the answer. I was in the car and I lost the station. Well, he could have downloaded the app and listened on the. That's right. That's right. So, I mean, I know your answer. I don't. I don't want to give yours away, but like, I wrote a bunch of things down, and it's interesting. Like, the first place I go often is to the hockey, right? And so, yes, you could say the Flyers' first Stanley Cup. You know, Gene Hart with that. The Flyers are going to win the Stanley Cup, but I'll, have to, get a, I'll have to get a. Scale of 1 to 10 from Josh on that one. I have no voice today. I don't know why. In the last hour, I got, well, I've been outside a lot. lot He gave you a four. Thanks. Which Uh, I thought was actually kind. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, I I always think of with the Flyers, I think about the fact that um, when they won, somebody went to the city of Philadelphia and said, like, we're going to have this parade. And they thought, like, 10,000 people might show up. And they ended up getting 2 million. Like, Anybody that's anybody still says, even bigger, and I hate to say it, even bigger than the Eagles parade, the biggest championship parade and turnout in Philadelphia sports history was that first Flyers Cup in 1974. I got another Flyers one because Josh was, you know, that's off the ice. It's got to be on the ice. I guess technically this is off the ice, but this is one people don't remember. They had to put a gate between the locker rooms because Paul Holmgren and Wayne Cashman from the Boston Bruins got in a fight on the ice. Well, then they got their penalty minutes, and then they got escorted off the ice. They went right up the tunnel, and just like you would look down the hallway between your studio and, say, Cat Country, you and Chris Coleman would then run at each other in the hallway and start punching each other. (laughs) That would be kind of what happened in the old spectrum, and that was something where the fans were so confused. That was an iconic moment in Philadelphia sports history for me. I wrote that Whoa, 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 okay. So you writing moment. This question was the most iconic play. All right, so Willie Wilson, you accurately did call the guy when Tug McGraw struck out Willie Wilson. The color that I would put on top of that. I accurately called the guy. Huh? I mean, I accurately called the guy. I'm a fan my whole life. I don't remember that Tug McGraw struck out Willie Wilson. You said initially when you brought up Tug McGraw, you said this was a little before my time is all I'm trying to give yeah, you props but I mean, for. But do you know the story, because I worked with Tug at Channel 6, that he used to always tell about striking out Willie Wilson. He would like, Tug was a great storyteller. And he would talk about being on the mound in that final moment and trying to get just one more out and dig down there, you know. And uh, he said, and he looked over by the Phillies dugout, and they had brought out the Philadelphia Police Mounted Patrol. And as he looked over at the dugout, the Phillies dugout, there was one of those horses taking a giant dump on the vet turf. <laughs> and Tug feel always like... used to say in his speeches that I better strike this guy out or I'm going to be just like that substance that landed on the turf. I feel like I you have told me that before. But it doesn't get old, that story. So for me, uh, I wrote all those down. The one, and I think uh, Adam Kaplan might have referenced this, and I know that Josh said rock the baby to sleep. But for me, I was really, really excited 
when Mo Cheeks dunked at the end of the Sixers night. One guy texted that in. One yeah. guy texted that in. I thought that was a good one. Uh, we had a lot of great, I mean, we had a ton of participation throughout the course of the day. It was very, uh, a lot of good stuff there. So I Bob appreciate Boone, Pete Rose is another one when the ball, Bob Boone came out we of his that. glove and Pete Rose I was, was there to scoop it up. I was at how many people went with the miracle at the Meadowlands play. The Deshaun Jackson one. Yes. Yeah, because, I mean, Westbrook, the the Westbrook miracle, I mean, well, let's go in order, right? It's Herm Edwards first, Brian Westbrook second, Deshaun Jackson third, all three of them in East Rutherford, correct? Uh, Yes. Yeah, so. That's how it gets the name Meadowlands, PT. No, 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 you knucklehead. I wanted to make sure that my chronology was correct. No, you said all three of them at the, in New York. So that's how they got the name at the Meadowland, the Miracle East at the Meadowland. It's not technically in New York. Whatever. <laughs> um, you're just a piece of work today. So suffice to say, um, yeah, there was. There, I, I thought the answers were great. I knew what yours was going to be. I mean, I was in the car with Susan, and uh, she kept saying, well, when's he going to say his? And I go, I know what his is. <laughs> and she's like, he's taking a commercial. He hasn't said his yet. <laughs> she was getting mad. That's pretty good. I mean, that's when you're really doing your job is when someone who doesn't even like the format wants to hear the answer. Yeah, that's some quality radio right there, buddy. Oh, man, that's a good one. I didn't know that. So um, I got a couple other things. No, we do have uh, the uh, PT. He's got his uh, man. What did I do with it? Here Here we go. We've got uh, that's entertainment coming up on the other side. But before we get to that. All right. oh, 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 here's what I wanted to ask you. So my girlfriend was driving today. All right. I want to get your take on this. All right. She wrote, I just witnessed this Mercedes SUV toss money out the window to a homeless person, but didn't have the decency to hand it to the guy. They just threw the bills at the guy on the ground and made the guy pick it up. She says, no, I'm not digging my in my wallet for these scammers, but just don't throw it at them. No one deserves that. You either believe in the cause and respectively hand it to them or don't donate at all there were bills underneath the guy's car it was just an awful sight now yeah, if you're I donating can't, can't is it more with that if you're donating to the cause does it matter in which way you hand the money or throw the money at the gentleman who's asking it's not like the old toll you're not trying to like throw it in the bucket or anything like that i mean come on this is a human being there uh yes there's a lot of scam artists yes what's the number one thing people are like oh don't give that person money they're gonna buy booze yeah right or they're gonna buy drugs right uh and so you know i i will say that when i went to temple in north philly and somebody would ask for money um, first of all, I was always thankful when they weren't demanding money with a weapon. But <laughs> secondly, <laughs> I'll say that uh, if they were asking for money or they looked like they were down on their luck, I would offer like there was a McDonald's right there. I'd be like, well, I'll come in with you. I'll buy you some food. You know, that way they didn't just take my stuff and then go to the bodega and get the. Uh, uh, well, I had th- like the big uh, 40 ounce of uh, old English 800 or uh, yeah. St. Ides. Well, I mean, to throw the, the throw the money at the gentleman is not very nice. No, nah, it's terrible, man. I mean, come but on. I did have a guy yesterday. I was going into a, a store, and he was on his cell phone, and he had a sign, and he actually told the person to hold on for a second and asked me if I had a dollar to spare. 
I said, you're on your phone. Who's paying your bill? (laughs) So he's on his phone. He puts the collar on hold so he can hit you up for the buck. (laughs) Yeah, he said, do you have have any money that you can spare? I mean, so so few people actually carry cash anymore, too. Yeah, that's That's, a tough business to be in anymore, man. Yeah, very much so. It is. It's a tough, that's a tough, like, who carries cash? Yeah, well, look at the guy that I made money off of buying his sausage and peppers. I made three bucks. <laughs> oh, here's the last question for you, okay? Before yes. we get to your uh, That's Entertainment column. Okay. Um, when going to a sporting event, all right? Yeah. Do you prefer to park further away from the stadium so that you can get out sooner or park closer to the stadium so your walk to the stadium is not as cl- far. Yeah, I like the first one you said. I like farther away, the further, furthest away to get the quickest escape route. Even my father was impressed. Now, mind you, I parked at the Wells Fargo Center uh, for the Phillies game. So, And, and I kind of had – there wasn't an event going on at the Wells Fargo Center, so I was able to go all the way around the building and park very close to Xfinity Live. But the minute we got in the car – and we got out of the parking lot. Most of the traffic was trying to go to 95. The or traffic on the Sunday airport. was brutal. 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 Getting out of there and was one of the worst exits ever. And half the stadium had left by the time we got out of there. Yeah, mind you. Yeah. But, I mean, we were genius because not only was I farther enough away, but I went to get onto Patterson Avenue going away from the stadium complex, not to Jersey. And then we looped around. I always say by where Brent Selleck used to live in those townhomes on the back of the Navy Yard complex, Novacare complex. We said hello to Poppies, and we parked at the Pen's, Penrose Diner, and that's what you do. You wait it out. So we had a nice well, dinner at the Penrose see, Diner. See, and this is where I say, you park close to the stadium, but you stay in the stadium and wait till everybody else leaves. You don't need to rush mm-hmm. out of there. A lot of the Phillies lots, it's tough to park close because that's um, there's two categories. There's reserved and preferred. And so reserved just means you paid or you you bought parking. Preferred is what you want. Yeah, you know, we had to, preferred. Get it that close. Oh, yeah, I bet you did, but, Mr. Sweet Man. No, I didn't have it. The guy I went with had it. But we pulled into the per- lot, and it wasn't the preferred lot. The lady said, you're supposed to be closer. Well, he said, I oh, want to yeah. park further. And oh, then, of chose, course, okay. his wife yeah. was kind of giving him the business, so he yeah. did the U-turn I'm, and went I'm, to the I'm preferred. sensitive theme here. And then, of so course, you went, in, you went in the third base gate, too, I would presume, right? No, we went in the outfield. Well, like like left field. Harry the case. Okay. Huh. But you, there weren't elevators right there when you went in? We went up the escalator, like the one that's almost like at Oh, uh, yeah. No, no. Yeah, yeah. See, you would have been much better if you'd gone in those elevators right there on the third base side. All right, PT, i got to take a quick break. We come back... Uh, uh, that's entertainment in the shore local is the column. We'll talk about that this week's edition coming up next here on the Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. Now back to the For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. ESPN. At 534. So, Pete Thompson, you'll like this. Uh, over on the text board, 
Now, some people call the text board, and then they leave a a message on the text board. So you can call the text board, and it will record your message, and then, you know, we can air the call. Like, you know. So I'm going to play one from our conversation um, of the greatest, most iconic play, okay? Now, there's something about this call. It's, you know, nothing crazy or anything, but I'll give you the irony at the end of the call, okay? All right. Irony at the end of this call. This is from Mike in the Villas. Take a listen. Hey, Mike. This is Mike from the Villas. The greatest play I ever seen in my life was Chase Utley going in the hole, faking that ball, and then throwing it home. Chase Utley, you are the man. You are the man. You are the man. Okay, that was his call. The okay. irony of the call is it was 26 seconds long, the same number that Chase Utley wore. Oh, there you go. 26 seconds. Yeah, I like that. I thought there was going to be some other fun thing at the end where, like, you heard him, like, saying to his wife, like, do we need cottage cheese? No, but I think you can hear the show in the background. Did you hear, like, the show going on in the background? I did. Uh, You asked me off the air, did I hear Don Kowarski curse on live TV last night? I didn't hear it live. Josh did. I saw it on your Twitter feed. Oh, very good. Yeah, and I was a little. My phone compressed the video, but I, I think it, the context was still in there. Well, here's yeah. a question: because it's TNT, can you say that word? I, and I think it was after ten o'clock too. You know, I mean, it's no longer uh, 1977 with the seven words you can't say on television. I mean, look, everybody. Well, I know heard if you it, watch, like you know? I know you don't watch, and and I don't really watch it either. But I have seen clips like AEW wrestling. They will use four-letter words. Oh, very much so. Yeah, I think I think the uh, rules have changed slightly. You know, I think when it's outside of what they consider to be prime time or after 10 o'clock, there's a little bit more wiggle room with that, uh, which is interesting, though, because, I mean, and the bottom line is he said a word that rhymes with a hit, fine. Um, and then when he said it, he said, holy bleep. And then he was like, I mean, uh, and Kenny Albert tried to help him out a little. And then he said, I mean, holy shucks. <laughs> and uh, just everybody, I mean, the, the desk cracked up. I laughed. Kevin Durso was laughing. Uh, anybody that was watching the game was uh, was laughing. And uh, God, God bless him. Uh, you know, Billy always likes to go back to that uh, reference of go eat another donut, you fat so for all his career, poor Don Garski was an excellent referee. And all anybody ever remembered was when Jim Schoenfeld yelled at him uh, coming off the ice at the old um, uh, Continental Airlines Arena or Brendan Burton Arena or whatever it was called back then. Uh, now, at least uh, the fact that he dropped the S-bomb is trying to be like the Steve Javi or the, uh, you know, uh, Mike Pereira, right? You know, the uh, replay official guy. Yeah. It, it was pretty awesome. Uh, we got a couple other calls that were uh, recorded today. I'll play a few of them real quick. Yay. Broad Street Bullies destroying the Russians. Iconic. Greg from EHT. All right, there you go. The Broad Street Bullies beating the Russians. I brought that up earlier today. And that's, that's- the one where Ed Van Imp took the guy out, and then uh, they pulled all the Russians off the ice, and Mr. Snyder went running down there, and he had a great solution. He said... Go in there and tell them in Russian that if they don't get their bleeps back on the ice, they won't get paid. 
Cash uh, is king. All right, here's another. How about Villanova's final shot against North Carolina to win the championship? So do you include a college play in the greatest, most iconic play in Philadelphia sports? Well, now you're going to split the hairs with the people that say, is Villanova technically a Philadelphia team, right? The people that want to slice the uh, zip code and say that they're on the main line. They're not in the city of Philadelphia. That's right. I happen to think it is an iconic moment, and it was a hell of a shot, and it was an unbelievable finish. I remember watching that right here in my house. But this play is the only answer. I would have to say the strip sack in the Super Bowl. And you would be right. <laughs> nice job there, man. Nice job. All right. PT has a column in Shore Local. It's called That's Entertainment. So, PT, give us a couple of uh, uh, reviews, thoughts, shows. What should we be watching this week? Well, uh, first and foremost, I do want to ask you if, you know, the you remember when the concept of a cliffhanger was born. Because I, I wrote about that, you know, in, in just sort of a PT way. I was... You know, I don't know how many channels you get on your cable, but I get way too many, and half the time you don't pay attention to them. And I happened to literally stop on an episode of Little House of the Prairie the other day, and it and it, it sucked me in, so I started watching it. And but it was a two parter, and I never hit guide. So when the thing got to the end, I was like, Ah, son of a gun! Now I got to watch another one. <laughs> and it, it made me think about the uh, quintessential cliffhanger, like. That term, you know, uh, Fonzie was the jump the shark, right, for Happy Days. That whole term came into the lexicon after Happy Days in that episode. But cliffhangers didn't really hit their zenith, if you will, until uh, 1980 when they had Who Shot JR. Now, you were probably too young for that. Uh, I remember. I was a kid. Yeah. But that was a big thing. And, in fact, you know, we just had the, uh, what was it, the Diamond Jubilee for Queen Elizabeth uh, over there in England, in the UK, Larry Hagman, may he rest in peace, said that that summer he was over in London and they had a reception. The sh- Dallas, the show was so popular that they had a reception with the, you know, the queen and, you know, all the royalty and that the queen literally said to him, I say, Mr. Hagman, would you please tell me who shot you? <laughs> and he's like, I can't tell you that, you know, because she wanted to know who shot Jr. When the Queen of England wants to know how the episode resolves itself, that's pretty big. So I started off writing about that a little bit because I just think it's funny to think about, you know, nowadays you just, you know, autoplay to the next thing and you and your blacklist and you're just ripping through episodes left and right. And back then uh, that episode aired in uh, I think it was in March, and then they didn't find out who actually shot Jr. until like October, November. It took a long time. Yeah, I mean, I was a kid. Out. I remember my mother and like her sisters and my grandmother were all watching Dallas at the time. It was a great show. I mean, and, and when people read magazines, you know, uh, Larry Hagman was on the cover of People and Newsweek and Time, and you know, and all that stuff. I actually did a little. Oh, I was at the old grad awards yesterday, and I asked the table that I was with. Most of the folks there were older than me, but I asked them if they got any magazines still because the last magazine that I did get was Entertainment Weekly. And in their infinite wisdom, the people that print Entertainment Weekly decided nobody's subscribing to this anymore. We're going to go digital only. And so they, they killed Entertainment Weekly, and that was the last actual magazine I used to get. I actually have crossed over into season three now of Better Call Saul. 
Oh, very good. Did he work at the uh, Sabaro yet? No, he's at Cinnabon. So I'm in oh, some Cinnabon. Of... Sorry, Sabaro was the uh, was was the guy that what the guy guessed on the quiz show I was watching and on the yeah the BS show with Howie uh, Mandel and he got it wrong. Uh, Stranger Things. If you're not watching Stranger Things, the boys are out. Uh, they're out on Amazon Prime. Every time I write about that in short local where I tell people about it, I very much remind people that even though it has superheroes in the plot lines, it is very much an age 17 plus show. It, uh, please do not sit down with your children <laughs> and watch the boys. It is, uh, it is not for, uh, the young of heart and, uh, but it's excellent. Uh, and then I also talked about the fact that, uh, Top Gun Maverick is uh, making a bunch of money still and so much so that the guy that wrote the original article in 1983 that the original Top Gun was based on, his family is now suing Paramount because they say, well, hey, what about us? Like uh, Paramount had gotten the copyright to it, but those rights went back to the N.A. family. So uh, I would imagine that this one will get settled out of court. All right. Uh, and by the way, I did see that this new movie, uh, Hustle, with Adam Sandler. Are you aware of this? Uh, very much so. Uh, Hustle was shot in Philadelphia. It's got Tobias Harris is in it. Tyrese Maxey is in it. Um, uh, there's somebody Curry. else. Yeah, and uh, Adam Sandler's in it. And who's the big uh, Boban? Who's the big... Um... It's uh, uh, Her Herman Gonez. That's it. He's uh, 7-1, right? I mean, he's a footer. And then uh, and they went to as many Philly places as they could and keep it authentic. Apparently, and... they did some scenes at the Atlantic City Airport. Oh, that's cool. Um, I, I, that would make sense, too. It's not that busy out there. You could pull up, like, a Gulfstream or something like that and shoot on the tarmac for four hours until the next Spirit flight comes Which, in. Which, did you know, they have uh, summer vacation plans right now. <laughs> they offer nonstop flights nice from Atlantic City International to Boston, Atlanta, San Juan, Miami, and other exciting destinations. Visit spirit.com and you might just see Adam Sandler filming his movie out there. I had one more left to go today. Whenever you can uh, squeeze in spirit in that's entertainment, I think you're doing a good job. So um, apparently it comes out on Netflix tomorrow. Yep. And I am going to Coldplay tomorrow night. Wow. So where are they playing? They're playing on Lincoln Financial Field and uh, not, what's today, Tuesday? So last night, or I think it was last night at MetLife Stadium, Bruce Springsteen walked out, son of a gun. Or maybe it was Sunday night, Sunday yeah. night. But he, he did, Coldplay played at MetLife Stadium and Bruce Springsteen walked out and the place went nuts. So wow. uh, if we don't get Springsteen Lincoln Financial Field, I'm going to be disappointed. Nah, right. I don't well, maybe, I mean, in Philly, you might get him. You never know. Or maybe Bono. Uh, that's entertainment. You can read the full, uh, how many words? I'll tell you in just a second here. Uh, the full 1,045 words. There you go. That's a long column. That's entertainment is in this weekend's edition of Shore Local. Pete Thompson. The extra points one is 1668. It's a lot of writing, PT. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely getting plenty of bang for their buck. All right. Anything else you got? And anything else we forget? Uh, ShopRite LPJ is here. You, you going know? this weekend? I mean, well, I went over and got my credential today. And Friday will be there. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. We we actually talked with the uh, tournament staff a little bit about uh, where we're going to be set up and yeah, where Friday, the location will be. I, I mentioned this yesterday, but Friday we'll be right outside where uh, McGettigan's uh, 19th hole is in that little, what do they call that area? 
Yeah, it's the start of the Spectator Village or the end of the Spectator Village. You yeah. know, I'm going basically. Saturday. I'm going Saturday. Yeah, you're going in uh, highfalutin stuff. This is like the Phillies game repeating you itself. You want to go? You'll be up there with the wine and the cheese and the brie, and I'll be down there uh, working. You want to go? Yeah, sure, I'll go. Saturday? Yeah, I'll go. I got one extra pass for you. Oh, I love it. I'm in. You had me at hello. I'm in. Well, every time else I ask you, you never show. That's usually because Friday night I uh, destroy myself so much that Saturday I'm Ooh. having issues. All right. Well, you're, if you want to go, you tell me now because if not, I'll find someone else. I'm telling you right now. I'm in. You I, you, you guys all I'm heard in. it. Everyone listening now heard this. Yes. I'm in. All Book right. it, Dano. All right. Saturday. Uh, Friday, we're doing the show live. Two to six. The uh, uh, ShopRite LPGA Village over there. And then Saturday, we're going to go uh, hang out the 18th, uh, 18th uh, Green. Yeah, I think uh, it might be called the Champions Pavilion. That it's got some name to it, but so it's, it's called uh, Champions Pavilion. There you go. Okay, as opposed to the Seventeenth, which is the Hard Rock Pavilion. All right. See how I got their sponsors into. <laughs> um. Oh, you said you want to try this Navage product. Why aren't you? Oh trying yeah. It? I'm all about it. I see the commercial cool. on TV, and and Heidi and I crack up. The guy, the way the guy says it, it's great. Well, and he, he, he says, I didn't invent sinus rinse, but I, I did invent this or blah, blah, blah. I mean, I just, I thought it was either a spray, you know, and you can hear my voice today. I went out and sucked in some pollen and the PT's struggling, right? So, hey, I can't breathe out of my one nostril. So, yeah, I, I'd try the thing. I don't know that I want to try it for $145. Oh, you told me it was only 100 bucks. No, I think it's more than that. You said, you read what you wrote to me. I know what I wrote, but uh, I'll say 100 bucks doesn't sound that all now. that bad. 140 doesn't even sound all that bad. Well, how do you know it's going to work? I, I don't mean, know that, but you know, I had my allergies taken care of. All right, now it's right around 100 bucks. Yeah, okay. although I, God, what is? There's one on eBay for 60. What's that? The used one? <laughs> <Ew>. <laughs> all right, I gotta go. <laughs> That's gross. All right, have a good rest of your show. Uh, happy hour Friday, all day Friday. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Buddy. We'll have lunch and then we'll go over to uh, McGettigan's. Yeah, that's fine. I'm in. I'm in. I'll, I'll pay for lunch. I, I, I got a hookup on Friday. Yeah, all right. Same place I had lunch today. It was delicious. No, no, no. We'll have lunch with, lunch with my father. Oh, I got to come down there first. Well, you're not. You're going to tell my dad you don't want to eat with him now. Never. I would never say that. I all always right. like your father. I, I sometimes I like him more than you. That's probably pretty easy to do. <laughs> All right, talk to you soon. Uh, that is a Tuesday with Thompson. We'll be back to close up tonight's show next. Now, back to the Sports Bash. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. ESPN. All right, we're getting ready to wrap up the show. Sports Bash Live 97.3 ESPN. Uh, Wheeler had the baby today, so he's on paternity leave. He'll be pitching Saturday now instead of Friday. Him and Gibson are going to flip-flop. Oh, congratulations to him. Yeah. Um, Josh has game night up next. Scott 
McLaughlin from the NHL uh, on Sirius NHL Network on Sirius NHL Radio on Sirius XM Satellite Radio. Uh, we'll join him tonight at six twenty. Got the Flyers stuff with the coach. Got the Stanley Cup tonight. Uh, not the Stanley Cup. The Eastern Conference Finals tonight. The Western Conference is over. Right. Game four. And you can hear that game on 97.3 ESPN. You know, viewership is up across the board. Big time. Big time. And viewership for the NBA is kind of down a little bit. It's actually up, but it's not where they thought it would be. Right. It's not as high as they would hope, but it's still up. What else? I think that's all I got. Not a chance. Do we have another baseball game tonight? No, we got eliminated last night. Done. Good thing. It's supposed to rain, apparently, tonight through tomorrow. All right, Josh will take you till 7, and then the NHL playoffs tonight, right here on 97.3 ESPN. You're home for Eagles football, which returns August the 12th. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.